0: Hey everyone, it's Dave. What's up? Um, I didn't want to do this podcast. Um, I never want to do a podcast like this. I hope it's the last one I have to do. <sighs> but we lost our friend Ron Gardapi recently. When this comes out, it'll have been a couple of weeks. And it has been hard on everybody. It's been rough. I've been getting a lot of really wonderful messages from people checking in. Um and you know, seeing an incredible outpouring of love and remembrance of Ron online. There's been some incredible stories that some I had never heard before, um, some that I knew or knew versions of. Um, you know, Ron was a was a character and a beloved friend and a scoundrel and all of the things you've probably heard about him. So if you don't know, if you're just hearing it here, Ron um, who was the singer of Brotherhood and he ran over Kill Records and did a ton of other things. I, these are just the ways that a lot of us that knew him from the Northwest hardcore scene knew him. Um, Ron passed away after a what feels like a fairly short battle with cancer. Um, and, you know, it's it's very strange. I listened to this episode that we recorded three years ago now, I think. And it's really, um, it's, it's surreal. It's hard to understand that that guy talking to me is no longer here. And, you know, we all deal with this stuff in our own ways and it takes me a long time to process and I tend to do it quietly and alone. And, uh, but now some time has gone by and I just wanted to say something. I wanted to do something. I know people have been going back and listening to the podcast episode so I thought I would re-release it now. No advertising. I'm going to take the front and back stuff off. It's just going to be the podcast. And I'll tell you a story about the podcast that I can tell now, basically, that I think is kind of fun. Um, When Ron came over to record it, Ron and I hadn't necessarily been getting along very well. And this isn't a terrible surprise to people that follow us on social media, but in the last few years, Ron and I had definitely had a, a split politically. And it isn't something that happened suddenly. This isn't Trump got elected and we had a split. This is something that had been going on for a long time. And Ron used to call me late at night and we'd have these kind of intense debates about various issues. And um at one point it just kind of kept going. Like he he kind of continued um in the direction he was going in. And it was for me, it was frustrating. And I think some of you saw this come out when Ron and I would kind of dust up in public in a, a public space like social media because I've known Ron for a long time and uh, he didn't always have all of those beliefs or when he had contradictory beliefs, they didn't grade against each other as badly as they seem to recently. Um, this is not a criticism of him. This is just kind of stating what it is. I think people understand that this is who Ron was. If you knew Ron in these later years, I think you understood this part of his personality. And so what I wanted to get to in the story is when Ron came over to record, we were okay, but we'd kind of had a few words. So he got here and we were hanging out. It was the first time he'd actually seen the place I live now, showing him the place, hanging out in the kitchen, having a drink before we come in to, uh, to do the podcast. And he was a little nervous. Um, I'm not going to say nervous because I don't know if that's the right word for Ron. Maybe just apprehensive, right? <laughs> so I said, hey, uh, I just want you to know that while we're recording, If there's anything that comes up that you're uncomfortable with talking about, you can basically stop the podcast and say, I don't want that. I don't want that to be recorded. I don't want that to come out. And I told him, because I'm not here to ambush you. And he looked at me and said, I assumed that's what I was here for. Which And then we both started laughing because, <laughs> like, I think he was serious. I think he thought that I was going to use his episode of I've Known You Too Long to take him to task. And that's just not what I want to do on this podcast, like a little bit for fun every now and then. But come on, this isn't about, you know, dragging people over the coals of their life. So, um, no, I think what I said to him was, no, dude, this is pure history revisionism. Which which he laughed and said, well, that's his favorite thing. So, um, and it's kind of, it's kind of true in, in, in a lot of enjoyable ways, but you'll see what I'm talking about when we get into the episode, there's some stuff with the band crumble and fake lists and his zines and things like that, that, that I think are a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. The world without Ron going forward is going to be it's going to be a lonelier place i know that for sure there's going to be less rage the good kind so with that let's uh let's listen to the episode and remember our friend Hello again. Welcome in to another episode of I've Known You Too Long. I'm Dave Larson. You probably know who I am by now. My guest today is Ron Gardapi. Ron used to run Overkill Records. In fact, I think he may still run Overkill Records. Yep. There he is. <laughs> and uh, he also sang famously for Brotherhood and uh, for Resolution. And he's done a number of other things in his life, too. We're going to get to that throughout the course of this podcast. Ron, welcome. Hey, Thanks, Dave. Ron, I've known you too long. Very, we've known each other a long, long time. So, we've, in, we've been roommates for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. We've known each other very well. Oh, we've got, we've got a lot of history. So what has happened in each of the previous episodes, essentially, I think each one, is that I've known you too long meant that I've known you so long, I can't even remember when we met. So we try to figure that out. With you, I think I actually know the day. I think I know the moment. Okay, and I'm drawing a blank. That's okay, because I think if I say it, you'll remember it. Okay, Okay. That's good. So just to give you an idea of what we do in this podcast is we figure out as close as we can the moment that we met. And then we go backwards from there and kind of figure out why it was we came together in that place. Like, where did you come from? What are you all about? What made you that person who would be involved in what you were involved in where we would meet up? And then we go forward and talk about stuff that's happened since that. And that's the whole thing. Okay. Okay. I have a guess. Uh, tell me what your guess is. Fallout. Oh no, Hanging it's out a of fallout. It, fallout is a really good guess. Okay. But no. All right. Shoot. It is. First step in brotherhood in Lenny's basement. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. Does that sound right. Huh? That sounds all right. It's not the show that the pictures on the, the second show. it's the second show. Yeah. I don't think first step played the
1: first no, show. The first show was, uh, would have just been brotherhood and refuse.
0: Maybe. I don't even know if they were a band then actually. No. I and mean, you know what? I'm pretty sure the show that I'm talking about was brotherhood first step and refused okay. in money's basement. The... And I could see the flyer in my head. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have the flyer still at home. We got there um... late. We missed refused first step played. And then. We watched you guys play, and it was the first actual, like, modern, hardcore, hardcore show I'd ever been to. I mean, it's a basement, but people crammed together, no mosh pit, not a circle pit. We were all punk skateboarders from Bellingham, you know, and we were used to that kind of show, and this was like a smash together of people singing along, That's That's fingers. what it was, man. How much fun? How much fun was that? It, oh, it, there's no... I knew. I knew while you guys were playing, I knew that something had changed at least for me, I don't know if, I don't know if everybody felt that way. But so afterwards you already knew Jason, uh, Jason Lambert and Brett Van Horn. And I um, think from, from, first step you, yeah. Cause that's how they set up the show. And so I'm fairly certain it was Jason that walked me up to you and said, this is Dave. And we did the handshake. And I remember at the time also that same night you were saying, Oh, you know, what, I almost went and
1: saw you guys with you today. And I was like, I wasn't in the band then, dude. So fuck that version.
0: Oh. Oh. And that would have either been me or Bill. But I think yeah, because I didn't make it to that show, and Bill may have actually tried to go to that show. So and you weren't in, you weren't in Brotherhood yet. Not at that time. No, this was that was my third show that you saw. Okay, that was the third time playing with Brotherhood. Yep. Um, well, that's we did this fast because a lot of times there's a lot more him and and Han in trying to figure it out and narrowing uh, it down. Well,
1: you know, um, Jesus, you know, I talk about this stuff all the time to people. <laughs> that's how lame I am. Like, ah, let me relive my past a little with you.
0: Uh, No, that's a good tie, man. Oh, I mean, that can't be considered an insult on this show. That's pretty much what we do. That's it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, now that's fine. But But after that, you and I quickly became very good friends. Because after after that, that, after that, you're just in the picture. Yeah. So the next time we were probably in the same place, maybe was that that show with ad odds in the storage unit up in Bellingham. That was probably it because that got set up pretty quickly right after that. And so at that on that night, I I felt like I already knew you. So we may have run into each other at Fallout. Because if you've got a Fallout memory, I know we ran into each other at Fallout. So I probably... We were coming from Bellingham maybe once a week to the Well,
1: and that also became a time when, I mean, I would come to... I'd go up there all the time. I mean, that became... Mm-hmm. Well, a little bit later as well. A little but,
0: bit. It, once Undertow really started to kick in. Yeah. Um, it seems like when we were
1: together, all of us were together every, every day, every weekend. You know, you guys would be down, we'd be up,
0: vice versa. It, it got It got really good. So we're going to... All of that is, we're going to get to that. That's going to oh, be, sorry. that's good. No, 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 that's fine. I, I'm i just going to direct the way it goes. Where did you come from? Well, I'm from Seattle, North Seattle. Yeah. Fact, before just that. Just very close <laughs> to here. I mean, when you were, you grew up as a, a, a young kid here? Yeah. A little young, little
1: metalhead. you know, uh, got into music in the seventies through my older sister and started going to metal shows in the early eighties. In Seattle. Cause I wasn't yeah. the impression it was, it was, you were on the East side. No, man. No. Well, in, in North Seattle and in Redmond.
0: Oh, okay. But so not, just across... not Spokane, Eastern Washington out no, there? No,
1: that that came later. That came in when I was a teenager. You know?
0: Okay, so, where, well, were, so where, where were you born?
1: I was born in Spokane. Okay. Moved to Centralia, Washington. Okay. Moved to Redmond. Moved to Seattle. I don't
0: think I ever knew you lived in Redmond. But
1: you were so young. Yeah. I
0: wouldn't have known that.
1: Got kicked out of all the high schools in Seattle. They had to finish high school somewhere. That was in your high school.
0: Yeah, it t- even got kicked out of the alternative school. So understanding the kind of metal metal Ron going to shows and get kicked out of a high schools, it, it's going to be easier to understand if we understand what much younger Ron was like. Uh, trouble. You were trouble. Were you? Would you say in grade school you were trouble? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? What kind of? What, I got into. I got into serious trouble. You know, like. I couldn't go to school for four months. For, kind of stuff. for, for fighting, for stealing, for vandalism? You know. <laughs> for, since this is a, uh, an audio medium and not a visual medium, I just saw a series of hand motions that can only be described as, um, I think, sketchy.
1: Yeah, well, I did a lot of <laughs> sketchy shit. And you, I spent a lot of time in youth detention center. So and Really? It, and you're talking about grade school. You're talking about 10 years old and younger. Eight was the first wow, first uh, my first encounter with, with getting caught. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're just talking about when you got caught, but there's also yeah, no, I was, I mean, I was a bad kid, man. I just, oh, I'm sorry, that's okay. Um, I, you know, we said this earlier, man. I like the dark side. I always have, always been into. And that.
0: you were drawn to, you were drawn to the dark side as a young child. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Just once, you know. Did nature. you have a lot
0: of friends back then? Oh yeah, man. So you were always a personable, so were were you like the kid that like tried to get a bunch of other kids together to do some devious deeds? Yeah. Yeah. That didn't change then? No,
1: I've kind of always tried to, you know, get, get kids together and let's fuck some shit up.
0: <laughs> um, what was influencing you to act that way when you were that young?
1: Uh, uh You know, all kinds of things happen. You know, I started... You know, drinking and doing drugs. You know, pretty early at a pretty early age. Prior to high school. Yeah, junior yeah. high. Yeah, because that's yeah. kind of seems like where where the choices start getting made. Yeah, like about twelve, and got pretty serious into that, and uh, that so so lasted... so early eighties. Have metal parking lot type times full blown but you know i was a slayer metalhead i was a motorhead metalhead you know i was the real deal venom um
0: and those they were all posers now those were the bands you were listening to when you were in junior high sixth seventh eighth grade no that would have been high school high school right because it it seems like
1: for the The people people that that got you know pop up really until 82 and that was my first year of high school
0: Eighty-two was. Yeah. Okay. I think I thought. I think I thought we were a little bit closer in age, but you are, you are at least a couple years older than I am. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense. And so ninth grade, you're going into high school, and that's when a lot of this really amazing music is coming out. Middle. That's exactly the, the time. Yeah, it was like a, a easy transition. You know, Sabbath are heavy,
1: but Motorhead's heavier. All right, man. I'm listening to Motorhead, and uh, you know that's also you know the same right around the same time when punk started to become something
0: now since you were listening to metal how did you feel about punk when you first heard it or became aware of it
1: well you know i like anybody who wasn't in involved in the scene fully you know my idea of it was you know fucking chips episodes or some shit you know like mayhem on uh whatever that uh jack klugman show Oh, Quincy. 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 Quincy punks. Yeah. Quincy punks. Thank you. Uh, but then in, in my, high school, here. my
0: favorite line, my favorite line from that is, uh, when they talk about the girl being dead and the one punk says, but at least she's free, man. <laughs> right. Good. Excellent one. That was it. Uh, but there was, there were
1: like punks in, in, uh, when I went to high school here at Ingram high school, North Seattle. And uh, they listened to Venom. They listened to Motorhead. And so it was like, what the hell? I mean, these guys are supposed to be, you know, these weirdos, crazy hair. But they basically look just like us. But they have, you know, shorter hair and
0: different pins, you know, on their jacket. So that's, I like that. Like, um, I knew a lot of guys like that. And I was definitely not a metal kid. I was a punk rock skateboarder kid that came in from more like... Listening to stuff like The Cure and like weird, like you know, Depeche Mode crap right. like that. So that w- that would have
1: been my version of. You would have asked yeah. me then,
0: "What's punk?" That oh, okay, but and 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 it's, it was one of those things where whatever kind of gets you to it, you know. But once we get there, I'd be hanging out with some dude that was really into metal and Venom and whatever, you know, and then. We'd get along because we both liked Minor Threat, or we'd get along because we both yeah, we both like these different things, and we loved going to shows together because there'd be a pit, and then if that guy's there, that means there'll be three of us running in a circle, you know. But every time those guys had friends that were like them that did not like us, and the the one example, tell me if you had anything like this in, in your life. The the smoke hole, basically the place. Uh, in high school, where everyone would come together, oh, to smoke. yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah, it was across the street from the school, and it was always metalhead dudes, and then punk rocker dudes would go there and skateboarders and the girl and and everything was usually fine but there was always one or two just glowering angry long-haired dudes that wanted nothing to do with punk rock oh yeah that were barely putting up with it and there were some fist fights. oh yeah and some pretty and so that you had that experience too well we had a lot of other issues to fight
1: about at school uh, actually the the punks and the metalheads i don't recall us ever really getting into it we were fighting in different different enemies you sure. know um jocks the you know the rednecks, the cla- and the, the you know the there was stuff. a lot of racial
0: shit going on as well. It, seriously, you know at, at my school at that time, right? And I I'm up in Bellingham. There's not very much of that because there's not a lot of diversity, you know. And so everybody that was there that wasn't white, we'd all gone to school the whole time. And no one thought of it as a as different groups of people.
1: Yeah, well it was yeah it was it was pretty pretty serious pretty serious. To tell Bellingham. you the truth, so. And so, okay. So we all united and um, <laughs> we would
0: smoke cigarettes out of the trees together. That's what we called it. Or the, the goat trees. farm,
1: which was, that was what was across the street.
0: From... Wait, the goat farm was across the street from Ingram?
1: Yeah. We, yeah. Now,
0: Bob Swift, who, from the helm. He teaches there. Or is he's a, a coach. He's right, a right? running coach, running in coach. Ingram. So um So I wonder if. The, the goat uh, farm is no longer there. It no longer exists. Um, was it a literal goat farm? No,
1: it was just a huge vacant lot that. You know, people would take their motorcycles out in or take your truck out in when you're, you know, and we'd have keggers out there. And Do you know why out there. Was it was
0: named the Goat Farm?
1: No idea. It's, okay. there was a long history of stoners and that kind of things going on there that, you know, we came into it and was like, here's the rules, kids. Nice. But we had three farms, the Goat Farm, the Chicken Farm, and the Elephant Farm. The The Chicken Farm's still there. It's next to the uh, swimming pool. If The swimming pool's still there. So you can ask him about that. It's called, now, these are just empty spaces? These are just vacant lots that we would all go get stoned in and drink in. Goat and, Farm,
0: Elephant Farm, and, and Chicken, the chicken farm. farm. And you don't know how any of those names came about? No idea. Those are just codes. That was it. Man. That was it. They, they were awesome places to hang out, though. Yeah. Oh, you got to have stuff like that. <laughs> so
1: back to oh, punk. Sure. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, know,
2: yeah, you exactly. know, that's. But you were you one. Know, started
1: meeting punks there. But then there was a venue also, you know, right around the same time in Seattle, the Gorilla Gardens. Uh huh. And we would go there to see bands and they would, they had two, two rooms. One room, they'd be having a punk rock show. One room, they'd be having a metal show. At the same time. At the same time. Oh. And so there was a lot of cross culture going on there. And you'd see these same kids from high school. And I was like, oh shit, man, that guy was down at that show. He was in the, you know, seeing soldier. And I was, I don't know, seeing ah, guns and roses or some <laughs> shit, you know, uh, they actually played there once. Nice. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, that was it. So that's, oh, I don't care
0: Okay, either. well, it's, it's cool. So, but you, you definitely felt drawn towards the punk rock thing. Like those people seemed like your brothers in arms.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You know, it would, we, we spent a long time hanging out on the Ave back then as well. Cause that's where you had to go to to score pot unless somebody, you know, had it at school, which, you know, a lot of people did, but. University Avenue. Yeah. In the University district. And you had to go there to get your bongs and get your pipes and buy records. So and there was this, um. This like new wave clothing fashion store, which is across the street from Roosevelt High School, and I cannot remember the name now. But that's where you would go because you could get bullet belts and you could get studded belts, and the punks could go there and get you know their and shit. You guys were
0: buying your gear in the same place. Yeah, it's just you know? it's
1: too much overlap to it, be enemies. It, it, yeah, it was perfect. And then it would be like, okay, well we're on the Ave. Just got this new pipe, my new bullet belt. <laughs> oh, there's homie from school. Let's go blaze one up over here at the you know Red Square. Like, all
0: right. Yeah, that place was uh, was sketchy for a long time. I, th- I think it's back to being it's sketchy in, in all the best ways. I mean, it was a destination uh, for you know when we started coming from from Bellingham. It was you know you go to Fallout, you go to Capitol Hill, you go to the University District, you got yeah. to have yeah, um, fantastic. Is it? It is still pretty sketchy. I, I haven't been
1: there in a long time, but uh, from what I understand, just you know reading the news, I know there was
0: a string of break-ins last night. It was on the news today and. And you and yeah. I both ended up working in a store. Uh, well, we're shit, jumping man. way ahead, but we both ended up working in a store right on the Ave at a Kinkos. You yeah, were, you were my boss, sorta. I think I was your boss. I don't think there was any sorta about it. Buddy. I don't know if we worked together for very long. You were gone real quick. Um, you got me the job and bailed. Yeah, we're gonna come ahead of that. I'm, uh, okay. I, I jumped. I just because I went from the Ave to the job, but we'll, we'll 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 link that back up when we get a little bit further. I well, think. and we. Didn't you live in the apartment with me? Oh, no, that was Bauer. Never mind. And and Bill
1: for one day. And Bill. Yeah. (laughs) For one weekend. We talked about that. Bill lived in the cubby.
0: (laughs) Bill was the person under the stairs. It was
1: a joke. We told him that. We said, dude, you can move in, but you got to sleep into this three foot high by six foot long space under the stairs as a joke. And he did it. So we just... Let him do it.
2: He thinks it's
1: real. To this day, <laughs> Brian and I are just <laughs> laughing our ass off. He actually is sleeping down there, Bye.
0: and that's the kind of guys you guys were. Yeah, and, that, and that's a, that's a kind that of is kind a, of dicks. Well, it's a little bit of a product of a bygone era. Because you, it's, and I, I actually, well, you Bellingham I, kids were so soft, man. We just had to try and toughen you up. I know it's true, but like the idea that 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 instead of ever saying. Oh, no, dude, it's a joke. You could sleep in that room. It's more like, oh, he's going for it, so we'll just see how this plays out. Sure. All yeah. the way through him moving it, out and it. going <laughs>
2: home. <laughs> Which is
0: awful. Uh, but it's it's it still speaks Bill. to a... It definitely is a little bit different point of view. And, and so many people came from so many different places, everyone with a little bit different vibe and a little bit different point of view. It all kind of mashes together and makes, you know... It makes for some fun. Yeah. Okay, so... We've already got you into high school. Yeah. I usually try to fish around for some good, for some good dirt, some oh, good well, junior high dirt, some good, even, you know.
1: Well, I, we never get to one point though. I did move to Spokane. Oh. And then started,
0: that's when I got into actually being in bands.
1: Previous, how how, how I was just old a,
0: were you? 16. 16. And you'd already been going out to shows at Gorilla Gardens.
1: Oh uh, yeah. All over. I mean, you name it Mountaineers, like, uh, I mean, I had, I had already seen so many
0: bands. And you could great. get into stuff at. It was all ages. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, back, n- this was back before Teen Dance Ordinance. Before Hall. Teen Dance Ordinance. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, why do you move to Spokane?
1: Because I needed to, I wanted to finish high school and I couldn't go back to any of the schools here. You've been kicked out of everything. Yeah. So it was like, well. Um, do you remember
0: what you did to get kicked out of your last chance in Seattle? I do, actually. I was just talking to somebody about it just the other day. Are you going to talk to everybody about it? Well, I'll tell you because it's pretty funny. (laughs)
1: Okay. Well, uh, it was actually they had a joint interview, me and my buddy. We both basically been kicked out of everywhere. And they brought us in together. I don't recall. I don't remember exactly why they did that. We're sitting in the principal's office at the very last school. And it was actually back to Ingram. I had already bounced (laughs) to Roosevelt, to Nathan Hale, John Marshall Alternative. And had screwed up at all of them, so the last chance was to go back to Ingram and see if, because I hadn't been there for like a year at that point. And uh, we go in, we're sitting there, and he's like, "Oh, you know, what? do you, Why? Why have you kids changed? You know, why should we let you back in here?" It's like, "Oh, you know, really? I really want to finish school. I mean, seriously, you know, I'm I'm a fairly smart guy. I I want to do this." And he got up and left, and there was a stack of bus passes sitting on the desk. And I just reached over and just grabbed the whole stack, stuck them in my pocket. He comes back in, just looks right down at the desk and says, "Nope, sorry." He knew it was a test. It was, yeah, they put the passes out to um, see. Yeah, if I'm take guessing them. he set, set set it up and I fell for it. So I gave him the passes back. And I always, and I always think, <laughs> I've wow. always thought, I was like, "Fuck, man! If I'd only taken like four or five of them." And just left the whole big stack there. I, you know, I probably would have never had a move to fucking Spokane.
0: Well, you so you learned an important lesson that day. Yes. Don't be greedy. You can shear a sheep many times. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. But you could sell these bus passes. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was, you know, value. Oh, sure. To a month-long bus pass.
0: So. Yeah. Well, including, you know, riding a bus. If you right. don't have one. Right. Which, but, yeah, you can sell them to other people, too. So, yeah, that was that. <laughs> OK, so that so then it's like, uh, well, I guess I have to go to a different city now. And yeah, and then I got over
1: there and they didn't want to let me into any of their high schools. So based um, on prior records. Right. So it turns out my mom had gone to school with the guy who was the principal at the alternative school there. They were actually a little they didn't want me to come in at the beginning. And she went in and she said, well, I know this guy. We went to high school together. She went in. Bob sure was his name. And uh, he's dead now. But uh, she goes in and they hit
0: it off. Like,
1: oh, hello, Lou, how you doing? Oh, Bob. Da, da, da. Okay, your son can come in. It's all who you know. I was a, you know. I was a good student, you know.
0: For, oh, so you cleaned up your act a little bit. I was still a scumbag, you know. But <laughs> at school, I buckled you, down. You learned. So, okay. So you just kind of learned there's a time and a place. Yeah. And you learn to take a couple of the passes rather than the whole stuff, <laughs> right? Right. And that's that's excellent. Okay, mm-hmm. so that get you that gets you through to graduation. When did you graduate from high school? Uh, nineteen eighty five. Eighty five. Okay. And I was in bands at this point. You were already in bands. Uh, was were you always singing? Yeah. Okay, you didn't. You played bass at some oh, point. Oh, I played bass for a short time in a uh, little skate punk band, some skater kids back then. Yeah, and then how did did you have a bass? Did they, did you just pick it up to learn because that's what they needed? Um, I don't recall. I mean, I can play sorta.
1: I can, you know, I mean, anybody can strum along to something. Yeah, like uh, shit. Todd
0: John Petty one how to play bass. Come on,
1: <laughs> anything's possible. <laughs>
0: yeah no and that's the only thing i ever did it's you you've seen what i can do anybody can do (laughs) we were in a band together you played bass exactly but um no i think it's interesting like at at some point you just said okay you went from being a listener to a participant well the singer
1: there was this band there were these kids that i i met over there in the alternative school and they they were fucking horrible and their singer was he wanted to no one over there was into into the real metal they right. were all still listening to, you know, fucking Rat and, you know.
0: <laughs> Rat keeps going up on this podcast. All this shit. And know? Def Leopard.
1: And so I'm just cramming all these bands down their throats like, no, that's, you know, that's lame, man. You know, don't, you can't listen to that. We got to listen to this. You got to listen to Slayer. We got to listen to Celtic Frost, everything. <laughs> and, you know, I finally, I convinced this these guys in this band, like, you know, we need to start doing different shit. Stop doing Judas Priest covers and let's start doing Slayer covers. And by the way, kick that fucking singer out because he's horrible and he had this high-pitched you know Halfordish voice and i've always i always sang along you know i've always been like the loud headbanging metalhead guy at the party you know with the yeah. boombox <laughs> and they were like well dude you got a good voice why don't you just do you know you come in you do it and i was like yeah that's it that's what i'm gonna do and what was that band disgrace disgrace yes no recording um, we had a demo. I don't know what ever happened to it. I'm still in contact with all the dudes, but no one has it.
0: Recorded um, uh, like at home on a four track or on a four track on a four track. So there's a disgrace demo with you. I have. Singing. I have the cover. And it's
1: metal. Oh, I have the the set cover still. Um, I, have plenty I of flyers. Can't believe I've I've never heard that. You've never wanted to s- seek that out. Well, you know, I was in a yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but we got lucky, man, because there was nobody else in in Spokane that was heavy. Yeah. I mean, there were like punk bands but they weren't heavy and so we'd go to every show and you know talk to everybody and hang out and then like dri would come to town and the promoter would be like well fuck i have nobody to open for the show oh i'll get those kids and so uh, like almost immediately we were playing like the big shows we were playing with coc and dri beyond possession D. krautzen i mean we're having a good time things things progress quick and you know it's Except for the band didn't. We broke up and became another band, rather grim. Which you've heard that.
0: I've played that for you before. I believe so. So you went from disgrace to rather grim. Yeah. Metal bands. Okay. Rather. Yeah. Yeah. Were they not? Well, yeah.
1: You no, know, you're right. They were. I mean, we thought we were going getting more punk or hardcore or whatever. Um, but then yeah, like then I was like, fuck this. All right. All I listen to now is Agnostic Front and the fucking cro Mags. And you know hardcore, I love you to today, like I'm going hardcore, okay,
0: so i- I just I jumped ahead a lot there, but no, no, that's know. good though that's good so so you're listening to all this metal at some point, would you say that you got into hardcore after high school? No, no, in high school, yeah. Oh, yeah so what 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 was the first thing you heard that wasn't metal that you were like, "Hell, yes, this is something I love this um well, I had a buddy
1: who was a tape trader and I mean, he would tack on stuff at the end of tapes. I'd be like, oh, you know, give me the Exodus demo. And then he'd tack stuff on. And a lot of times he wouldn't write anything. But I remember the first couple of things that really stuck out in my mind were um a band called NYC Mayhem mm-hmm. and uh, Youth of Today and SSD, actually. And uh, NYC Mayhem then became Straight Ahead. And it was like, oh, these metal this metal band that I love now they're straight edge. And I was becoming aware of what straight edge was at the time. Yeah. Um, I still, when I, when I first got minor threat, I thought it was a, like a comedy record. I thought it was dead milkman or some shit. You know, right. A it, joke. A crucial youth. Yeah. Uh, I was like, <laughs> Oh, this is funny. I don't drink, don't smoke. I'm like, ha These punk rockers. Oh, a lot of funny.
0: Um, no. And I, I remember a metal guy up in Bellingham, we were talking about minor threat and he was like, ah, I want to like them, but I just can't, I can't get with what they're about. You know, I remember thinking, really? Like like it's it's is it an offensive offensive message really but and he was a pretty cool dude but he was just like yeah no i'm not not into it man <laughs> yeah because for me it was well okay i didn't hear minor threat until after i heard seven seconds so i'd already heard like the message music you know and i was already like like this is incredible and then then i heard minor threat like and in my mind it's like there's this huge gap between the two but everything happens so quickly back then. You just think there was a long period of time between it. It's probably a couple of weeks.
1: Well, yeah. I think about that actually a lot like the, in, in the gap from Boston to uh, like youth crew. Yeah. I mean, that really was only four or five years,
0: right? In 82 to 85, you know, Youth of today were playing shows in 1985. Those changes don't happen like that. Now they're like, there's a the huge gaps of, you know, well, I don't, I don't, you know, maybe i don't know because i don't know what the kids are doing if the kids are doing anything uh, kids these days i swear to god man i try so hard to like
1: i know, not be a part but to just like steer them in certain directions like listen to this and they don't fucking care at all you know like I, I was just thinking about that actually earlier today like uh, when i I was trying to convince these kids, you need to do a zine, man. You got to do a zine. You hold it in your hands. You know, you get to pass it around to people. And it was just like, who the fuck are you, stupid old man? What is this? So
0: you're like a dude who's trying to tell this kid if he whipped his car, it would go faster. That's what we used to do with the horses. (laughs) I like it. And, and i'm saying this as someone who, who wishes these kids would make some zines you know <laughs> okay but i you know it's it is it is part it's it's partly them it's partly us oh certainly oh yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: um yeah i just uh at this point i just hey i hope they put on a good show i always try it's like you should try and get these other you know get somebody else on the bill they always still put the
0: same shitty bands on the bills and Oh, yeah. And these are, these are, these people you're talking about are over in, uh, in currently Sp- in Spokane. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome that you're that involved. Well, it's either
1: that or just be bored uh, you know, tears every, every day. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. There's a, there's a big group of people. I, I moved over there, uh, a year and
0: a half ago, you Moved back over, moved to back over Spokane
1: and, um, yeah, met a pretty good solid group of people who you know again they're all doers all the yep. bands are all putting on shows and and
0: some connections with people that you knew from before
1: that and people who just knew me knew of me mm-hmm. i should say i mean it sounds kind of you know conceited or whatever but you're so i have people, a reputation you're, you're someone that people know so Even it was if, easy to jump in and just be like fuck it i'm gonna
0: start booking shows like, sure cool you, you know what you're doing here's a date. You know. Right. right. On. Okay, let's let's go back in time again. We'll get up into that uh into that future stuff here in a little bit. So we we basically have you getting out of high school. You're out in metal bands. You're still in Spokane. Yep. Still, when you, still in Spokane. Do you start another band over there or do you come back to Seattle? Start
1: a band over there. I was like, this is this is it. Got to be in a hardcore band now, man, cuz I was That's all I, I mean, I'd spent so long just fully immersed in hardcore, getting so into it. Right. And uh I was like, fuck it. This band's done. I'm going to find some new guys. We're going to start a hardcore band. And you've graduated? i shaving my head. Like, I'm cutting my hair. I'm going all, you know. I'm... Now, you've, you've
0: graduated? At that point, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay, so you, you were looking for a school to graduate from. You accomplished this goal. You keep it together enough to graduate from this one school. You don't get kicked out again. Anything significant you remember about graduating or that feeling or I- idea of where you were going to go from there? Uh <laughs> yeah,
1: I started selling newspaper subscriptions for 335. Then I started working as a janitor for 335 minimum wage. And my plan was well, like I said, I had been having success with the bands I was in. So I knew I had a good thing going. And like I said, I wanted to get, you know, something heavier happening. And at this point I started meeting like well, Greg, you know, and Nate and so you met Greg Anderson over there, yeah, yeah, and Nate Mendel, yeah. Daily Squat would come up and play. Uh, False Liberty would come over and play. So we started
0: to become friends. So now Greg was in Seattle, but False Liberty was coming over and playing in Spokane. Correct. And False Liberty is Greg and Vic, Greg and Vic, who ended up being a brotherhood. Yeah, okay. and
1: that and Nate. There was one show, you know, famously this one show is Hateful Youth.
0: What's, that's the band I started? That was my hardcore band, Hateful Youth. Hateful Youth. And you, okay, so I guess what I was saying was, when you got out of high school, you didn't have a goal like I'm gonna work a year and go to college, or I'm gonna go into this career. Like I'm, I'm just trying. I wanted oh. to get an idea of what where your head was. Yeah, I wanted to join a. I wanted to join the army.
1: I swear to God, was that the goal? Yeah, I wanted to join the army. I want to learn how to fly helicopters or something cool like that. And they wouldn't take me. Um, they wouldn't take you no i went through all the tests and everything and they're like oh you scored great you know we're gonna blah 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 you know pick take the pick of what you want to do oh now we're gonna take a look at your criminal record
2: you uh, are kidding
1: me and yeah at that time um i had some you know i had, I had some pretty major stuff on there <laughs> nothing no
0: violent crime but you know okay so it was all it was no violent crime it was all just you know but felonies and okay shit.
2: And, but you're not
0: 18 when you committed them. Uh, didn't matter. It's I swear to God, it just they were. The thing that I find funny about that, and I'm wondering if it was just a slice of time in our history where that was the case, because it seemed like, didn't they used to give people the option to go into the military rather than pay off the well the crime I, that they committed? I'm oh.
1: guessing if there would have been a war at the time, they would have right been like, "Come on in, buddy." Right. Uh, but you know, we were, this was just Cold was War shit. peace. Um so at that point I was just like, oh screw that then. I'm just going to wow. I'm going to be a punk rocker, man. I'm going to be the, you know. That's okay. what I'm going to be.
0: And
1: I I, I didn't never, really have a Never knew that about you. another goal except to be in a band and play play shows. And then Had
0: that been a goal the, the military, had that been a goal of yours for a long time? Yeah. You know, since I was a kid, little kid, young kid. Wow. And so did it did kind of like the the rug being pulled out from Full blown, out? yeah.
1: And there another then I, had, I got another plan later, but that was later. That's after I moved back to Seattle. I had another goal. Right. And that same thing. And that was another time I was just like, well. And at that, that same, so that, that second
0: one was also because of the criminal history? No, that was a physical. You know. Okay. So I guess I'm saying like, what, what kind of turnaround from that did you have? What, was I'm going to be a punk rocker, like a just two finger salute, just like fuck you all Heck i am yeah man. i am i'm not following your system anymore i'm There's, just gonna party i'm gonna fucking be
1: as pissed off as i can I'll, all i want to do is get on stage and scream at people
0: right it's pretty nice jump high and <laughs> you know get drunk that was it okay now that's i think that's a pretty good i've known you for many many years and i've learned a lot about you in this last you know few minutes that's I was probably too embarrassed to tell you all this stuff back back then. That's why I like this. I the... love coming back from this distance of a great number of years and being able to say, "Hey, what was that deal with you?" Because <laughs> it's I was
2: a fuck up. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> that seems to be we, we seem to be a collective of of fuck ups to some degree, you know, um, and a lot of us turned out all right. Yeah, most everybody, you know. So okay. And I, there's probably people that are going, yeah, you may think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, I got a good job now. I work for the government. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So you're out of high school. You've met Greg. You've met Nate. You start Hateful Youth. Yep. And just like the other
1: two bands I've been in, immediately we get all the good shows. We're playing every weekend. We're able to do everything. You know, we're, we're having a great time. It's, who you know, who were awesome. the other
0: guys in the band?
1: A guy named Sean Wilson, who's passed now. Um, a guy named Alf Presbo, who I still hang out with all the time. He still lives in Spokane. Just at his house last weekend. And a guy named uh, Lou Boucher played guitar. And he's kind of just dropped off the face of the planet. Like
0: he's an adult now with a life. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, No one knows. No, no one's one seen him for forever. But the whole crew, our, the, the Hateful Youth crew, I still hang out with like 90% of them they're all you know we're all dudes in our 40s and shit but like exodus came to town came to spokane like uh i don't know months sometime in december
0: and like the whole hateful youth crew was there we were all there now you're talking about the guys up. from the band and the people that came out and supported yeah you. yeah yeah that's great yeah you know a bunch of old gray-haired old men so why does that come to an end it doesn't obviously
1: no, oh to oh, the band the band oh uh you know <sighs> It was such a spur of the moment thing. I was just kind of, well, me and one of the guys in the band are always kind of argued. Still an awesome guy. and We were still friends for years later, but we just kind of, it was one of those, you know, who's going to be, who's in charge, basically. And uh, some really good friends of mine, Mike and Eric Dietzel, they were coming over for some show. They were coming up from Spokane to Seattle for some show. And at the time, I I probably didn't have a job because the jobs were really... You know, hard to get. And if you got them, it was minimum wage, three thirty-five, And uh And maybe I was missing Seattle. I don't know. But it was just, they were like, well, we're going to Seattle tomorrow. And I was like, hmm, I'm going to pack a bag. I'm gone. And that was it, man. I packed up and left that day. One
0: day decision to move, take a bag of stuff, and you have split. Move back to Seattle. And I've been gone three years at this point. Okay. And you're not getting away from an ex-girlfriend or from a uh, uh, something going down. It was just like and the band had crumbled at that point no no
1: no they were still totally active we just recorded a demo um
0: that's okay i was like man well i mean i miss seattle this is where i grew up no i got it i just uh, stuff like this i I find kind of fascinating so you you've got something that's happening you've just recorded a demo how long after you recorded the demo did you go i I couldn't tell you exactly but it had to have been within months so it wasn't like it wasn't like you did like you worked on like the biggest project the band ever worked on. and You kind of had that like post project depression. Yeah, you know, I
1: like I said, uh, Mike and Eric were like, "Well, dude, we're going over... I don't even remember what the show was. Uh, I'm sure, in the I, I was planning. Well, I'm going to the show with you guys. Is you this know?
0: '87? This would have been '87. '87. Okay. Yeah,
1: and just came over. My sister was living right out here by Northgate, and. I just, <laughs> I don't remember if I called her in advance Maybe it was or just showed up at her house.
0: Circle jerks, seven seconds at the Community World Theater
1: in Tacoma. It could have very well been. <laughs> it, it, Seriously, it could have been uh, seven seconds in Metal Church in Olympia. I mean, RKL, who knows, right. man? I mean, there was, you know, it could have been anything. Could have been The Accused. I mean, it, those are all possibilities. it uh, wouldn't make sense. So, uh Actually, that would have made more sense because the accused were the biggest thing in our lives or at the that dehumanizers time. or the dehumanizers,
0: Yeah, I, I don't think anyone remembers the dehumanizers. Uh,
1: I heard they're playing shows. Uh,
0: I know they just released like a discography. I know. I know people do like people that I know. You know, that from, from back then, from high school. In high school, Dehumanizers were a big deal. That whole Kill guys thing uh-huh, and all sure. that. And we go see them play in Bellingham, you know. Those were some of the earliest punk shows ever. First, you know, maybe not the first mosh pit that I was in, but second or third, I think, was probably Dehumanizers <laughs> and the best. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I, I I think that... Yeah, that's a band that should get on Rainfest. <laughs> Just for some... Uh, the accused should. Hell think that'd be great. Oh, hell yeah, that too. Okay. Um, so that gets you over to Seattle. That's the, wow. that's, that's the key point, I guess. I just, you yeah. know, I don't want to do it quick. I want to figure out why. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, move back and just immediately start hanging out with all my old high school buddies.
1: Um, but at this point I was, they were all still full blown metal heads and I made a choice. You know, I was doing something different. You had cut your hair. Yeah. I had a now, shaved head. Did I you have
0: so, long hair? Were you a long oh, yeah. hair metal guy? So oh, yeah. you went from long hair to shaved head. I am a, I'm it, a skinhead. Yep. I was going out with the hottest the hottest metal chick in the
1: school she dumped me immediately (laughs) you got wait this is the kind of stuff i'm looking for dude you
0: cut your hair and your hot girlfriend dumped you yep 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 wow and she she said it's the hair she just said uh i
1: i I don't recall exactly what she said but i went to pick her up and she's like uh this ain't what i signed up for buddy wow (laughs) <laughs> so, I guess that was another crazy spur of the moment, you know, it's decisions. Like, and when hey, we say skinhead, look,
0: shaving my head, we're, we're talking like we, you know, we understand, but like there's maybe going to be people listening to this who are just going to automatically assume skinhead means you got like a swastika tattoo on your forehead and we're goose stepping around. Right. Like, no, you know, the agnostic front version. Right. It? Unity. Right, just so there's within the whole world of skinheads, there's a tiny little sliver that's actually Nazi racist skinheads, and everything else is just. I'm sure we'll get to them later. Oh, sure, we absolutely we can. Um, But uh, but I just I I try to pause and remember that this isn't just a. I mean, this while this is a conversation you and I are having, I'm really hoping some people are going to listen to this (laughs) that wouldn't know what we were talking about, and that they would hear skinhead and go what? (laughs) So, okay, dumped. Now you're a skinhead, now you're back in Seattle with your old friends. And the details of are, are they living in they're still in they they they're still in Spokane. Uh
1: but I you know, I started hanging out with Greg a lot at that point. Greg Anderson. Also, yeah, Greg Anderson. Okay. And um False Liberty had I don't know if False Liberty were still together. I think it was a tail end of False Liberty. And I would Greg was actually three years younger than me, so if I was, you know, nineteen, he would have been sixteen. Okay. But we were had been friends and tape traders, so you know we'd hang out, fucking go to the movies and shit, go record store, you know, go shop for records, you know, go eat, whatever. Yeah. And it was kind of just a crew of two, sort of at that time. Um, and was he? And he was straight edge. He was straight edge. Okay. At the time. False Liberty. He was straight edge when he was in that band. I don't think he called himself straight edge. He was kind of like you back then, you know, just positive, sober, but right. didn't really have that label yet. And I was still, at this point, a total lush. Sure. You know, just fucking up all the time. Um, but yeah, so we just started hanging out and things just, you know. And they came together. And now the scene he starts doing Brotherhood. Actually, with... he starts doing Inner Strength. Oh, he Inner sta- Strength. He starts Inner Strength. Okay. And he's singing Inner Strength. And uh, there was actually a Spokane guy who had moved over, was in that band. Uh, this guy, Jeff Jackson. And uh, so it was, you know we're all friends and shit and uh he picked he, he got a guitar and he's like oh you know i want to be in a full-blown straight edge band you know the real deal i'm gonna play guitar and i'm writing songs and i remember we'd be sitting at his mom's house and he'd be like you know playing these riffs and i was like oh yeah you know that's fucking killer you know now let's drive down to community world theater so i can get drunk and see subvert and you know right. you can drive me home like all right um but then he eventually
0: broke up Inner Strength and started started Brotherhood. Okay, so Inner Strength is in between yeah, False Liberty and Brotherhood. Okay, and I don't think I knew that, or I've just forgotten. It's been a long time. Um, remember False Liberty? There were guys in Bellingham who would talk about that band, and then we just never had an opportunity. I never had an opportunity to see them. And so they then, were they were great. Man. Ah, I I feel like I missed out. <laughs> and then, but I was I couldn't drive yet up in Bellingham, young. Um, which is Bellingham's ninety miles from Seattle, so you might as well have been a, you know yeah. half the country away if you couldn't get anywhere so then I hear about through uh the guys that were in that ended up being in the band first step. I start hearing about Brotherhood, and the first time I heard Brotherhood it was I believe recordings with John white
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and those guys, I don't even think they were doing a straight edge band yet they were doing they had been in a band called the Lawnmowers. And then they became Filthy McNasty, mm-hmm. um, which was the total, like that band I saw play like multiple parties and shows. And, and it was funny because they ended up having this internal strife where two members went straight edge, Jason and Brett, and the other guys were not into totally cool guys who I think are just awesome to this day. Right. But just we're not, you know, we're not down. And so that band broke up. We were still in high school. They started first step. They reformed. And they became a straight edge band, very much inspired by what was going on with Brotherhood. And somewhere in that in that period of time, Brotherhood went from being the Brotherhood with John singing to you coming on board and being in the band. Me and Nate both, like pretty much right at the same time. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So there was a, there was a Brotherhood prior to Nate playing. Yeah. Oh, I uh, didn't realize it. Ken Hagel, you know Ken. Oh, I've never understood Ken's role in Brotherhood. He, I knew he played that, bass, like. So it was the, it was, it was Ken, John White, Vic, and Greg. Mm-hmm. And that was the first, that's that first recording. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, awesome. So yeah, I didn't really like that version of Brotherhood very much. I liked Greg and Vic. Um, John didn't, John didn't really, John and I did not get along very well for the first quite a few years that we knew each other. We are now very, very good friends.
0: Yeah. John is awesome. And I never yeah. had an opportunity to meet him back then. My first awareness with John was through his zine. As was mine. Right. Okay. Oh,
1: okay. So you didn't... He, mo- he moved here from um, Connecticut and one day Greg and I were at fallout and there's this straight edge scene. you know, obviously straight edge scene. I wasn't straight edge at the time, but I was, you know, in the scene. I was part of the scene. But right. I just wasn't, you know, I was still drinking. And uh, like I remember grabbing it and I was like, dude, that's a Seattle address in here. I was like, what in the fuck? We actually drove to the U district. To this guy's house. Oh, dude. Back... Knocked
0: on his, on his you know, apartment door. I was like, what's up? So this is, this is a key point. This is really good. Back then, I would say up until 89, 90, maybe, things really started to blow up. But if you were aware that there was something that was supposed to be in your orbit, and you didn't know who those people were right. or you, and you had an address, you, could, you might drive there and knock on the yeah. door, which you did, right?
1: Yeah, we just went to, came and Kelly Walred went to their apartment.
0: We... I have a story about you with that. I actually have two. Well, I know one of them. <laughs> 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 which, which one is it? Well, <laughs> some
1: things I don't want to talk about.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. It'll be good. No, you you did a, a little bit later in life, you did a, a zine called... Uh, uh, bringing it back. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to, this is the other story. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I wasn't involved in, wow, this is going to sound like you've done some, you got some really shady stuff. Going oh, on I know. I past. like it. I like um, it. Well, some of it is, there
1: are still people alive, still people alive,
2: there are still people in the
0: scene who
1: would be pretty pissed off. And I happen to be acquaintances with these people at this time. And I have things I don't want them to know that I did.
0: Okay. That's fine.
1: Leave it at that. The big mystery. <laughs>
0: Um, so you, you put your top 10 Northwest things in, in an issue of bringing it I was going to
1: bring those, That uh, I was going to bring all my zines today too, just for the fuck of and, it. And and I <laughs> wish I had. So and I the number
0: win. one thing you put in there was a band called Crumble. Yep. Yeah, Crumble. Which did not exist. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do. That you pick up <laughs> fake bands. And so when we got hold that up in Bellingham and now this we've jumped ahead so we'll we'll move back in a minute to where we were but when we got a hold of that we knew two through ten but we didn't know what the hell number one was and I think we were pretty relentless with you being like, "What's Crumble? What's Crumble?" And I think you were trying to like, "Oh, I got the tape around here. So you haven't you haven't heard him yet?" Oh, like, I'm sure I played it as far as I could. <laughs> There's there just wasn't that, that was another that's...
1: that was another Brian Bauer and 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 uh, me
0: joke <laughs> with, with Crumble. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Bill and I couldn't stand for it, so we just started a band called Crumble. <laughs> perfect <laughs> just we just decided that if there was damn it, there was gonna be one so we did crumble for a while um, well, and that's the way it's that's the way it's <laughs> with, supposed to work with, with uh, I think with Bri- with Briar Herrick and Mike Mitchell and then we became Dye Syndrome or whatever oh wait oh I thought that was the the drum machine band no it you... was that's the same so what ended up happening was Bill was hanging out with Briar Breyer, and Briar's always been good with that stuff in fact Briar is the same guy that makes the music that leads in this podcast and and goes out with it uh, it's called polymorph now but Briar um he went out there and they just put together that song that not me song. Oh, it was heavy. It, dude, I really it. so we ended up doing that. We we put that we put a band together to play that and I played I went and bought a bass and uh and wrote like another like six songs and played a couple shows. It was fun, you know. But originally we were Crumble until we until we all just kind of went, "I we hate that name." <laughs> <laughs> like I thought it was gonna be the coolest thing ever that we had like retroactively put ourselves as like number one on your list, you know. Oh yeah. But... <laughs> okay, so at some point you go from being the drunk guy that Greg Anderson has given the ride down to community world theater C subvert so you can drink, to being the straight edge singer of brotherhood. Yeah. And almost <laughs> overnight. And once again, we've we've thrown this term out a lot and I've never like really stopped to explain it. Um, for the non, non-insider non listeners that we might have. Straight Edge is an ideology, no drinking, no drugs. Basically, it's a song from Minor Threat that Ian MacKay wrote in like 1981 or way back in the early 80s. And it spawned a movement that goes on strong to this day. I'm still into it. Well, I think I think even a lot of people that aren't actually still Straight Edge are still into it. Um, but I am still Straight Edge and most of my friends who were Straight Edge throughout my life are not. Um... And that's fine. Um, It used to be back in the day a really big problem when someone would sell out. There was always a lot, there were issues, you know, it would cause a lot of hard feelings. Oh, yeah. Um, So I (laughs) sell out. That was heavy. (laughs)
1: Heavy (laughs) duty.
0: (laughs) When Ron mentioned earlier, Greg was like you, he didn't do anything, but he was just drug free. That's not actually exactly what I was because I did drink prior to being straight. Like there was a day when I went, I'm going to stop doing this now because I'm going to be straight edge. And it was actually the day uh, that I opened up the skateboard shop in Bellingham, Aggression Skates, which was August 15th, 1987. So that's my straight edge day. Um, that's the date. And prior to that, I, I, you know, I did drink. I didn't really do drugs, but that was, Um, for, there are a lot of people who, who were like, that's just kind of how they lived anyway. So. It made sense to just adopt the term be straight edge and it wasn't really like a lifestyle change. sure um, and that's that's fine too. I just one I think Greg and I talked about this a little bit. There's a day though when you say I'm straight edge and that's the day that you you're straight edge because you've you've yeah. decided, right? you can't have just always been straight edge no i i, I don't remember the exact date. um I'm sorry, but something but, must have happened like yeah,
1: here's what happened as i I was partying real hard at this point, like uh you know drugs, really getting into it. And it was becoming a problem and everybody I knew was straight edge. Well, 90% of the people I hung around with were straight edge at the time. Now were they straight edge bands? Were
0: people becoming straight edge that had prior not, or were you just meeting new straight edge people? Both.
1: Okay. And, um, I remember, you know, brother or brotherhood was around and they had just played, they just opened for youth today and things just went bad between uh every all those guys in, that were in the band at the time and uh, a few days later and i think at this point i had i probably had like a month of actual sobriety under my belt i mean not that much and i was probably planning to you know slip back at some point you know right uh but i was like i was thinking you know this could be something and i've been a part of this scene for a long time i'm really getting burned out on on partying on you know drinking and doing drugs and uh, I remember Greg like came to my house one day and he's like, you know, he's like, dude, I'm making some changes, you know, in brotherhood. I'm like, oh, you know, probably a good idea, you know, from what I've seen, what I've heard. And he goes, here's the deal. It's like, if you totally quit, you know, doing everything, it's like, I want you to sing for the band. And at this point I was so jonesing to be back into a band. And I knew this band could be so angry, you know, and that's, you know that's what i thrive on in a band is just like you know i'm being pissed and i they weren't really they weren't doing that at that time they were kind of you know a little bit more mellow and i was like fuck,
0: dude you're you know awesome let's do it i'm done that's it and you were already and you'd already gotten there in your head you're like you'd considered it yeah but so this was just the catalyst this was the thing that's like oh yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a nice carrot. It's a better carrot, and yeah. it gets dangled for a lot of straight edge people.
1: Yeah. So, like I said, almost overnight, it was like, okay, I'm straight edge, and now I'm the singer for this straight edge band, and
0: let's see what happens. And so, how how long after you did that did you go record the vocals for the record, or did you guys go record the Brotherhood of Friends? Demo? Well,
1: we still we had to lose one more member before then. Uh, Ken did I well, you know, I, I mean, I, I throw around a lot of, you know, blue, blue, you know, language, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, I'm fucking the kind of guy who does that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. There you go. And Ken did not like that.
0: And he was I like, played in a band with Ken years later up in Bellingham. And yes, he, he was more sensitive to that than a lot of guys yeah. I've known. And he's a wonderful person. Yes. But I think at the time that would have been... It wouldn't have gone over a b- hardcore well, band like yeah. that with you in it.
1: He quit. He's like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't want to be in a band with this guy. This guy's like, I don't know what he is, but he's just not what I want to be a part of. And so he quit. So we're sitting there, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Right at that exact same time, Nate moved to Seattle and Nate was coming over here to join Christ on a crutch. Right. Who were going to, it was going to be like eight or nine months before Christ on a crutch could even do anything because... Glenn and Jerry were still in in DC. So basically Nate was just here and we we're like, "Well, I mean, you pretty much don't drink. You don't you like, why don't you join this band, man?" And he's like, "Well, I'll do it until press on crutches happening." It's like, "Perfect." So at that point, we had a unit together. Oh yeah. I mean, quality players you know,
0: and he writes in the songs. in this re-release of the Brotherhood stuff that came out. He writes about that time and how he felt being someone who was involved in that, but not really being straight edge. Yeah, which is kind of a combination that would shock people, I think, today that were in the straight edge scene. Yeah. The idea that the idea of a straight edge band with a non straight edge member. Well, I think is but, an old school idea.
1: Yes, and we've seen you know now that we know the history of a lot of these bands, we recognize <laughs> that
0: that was the case for a lot of them. Yes, and when I first heard the first time I ever heard someone say the word straight edge. I heard this, this older skateboarder in Bellingham that I knew, uh, sitting drunk in a parking lot, like with another dude. And we kind of skated over to him and we're just like, you know, we did not really know these guys, but we thought they were cool. And the one guy was just like really bummed out. And he says to his friend, he goes, man, I think I'm going to go straight edge for a couple weeks. And that was my first hearing another person say the word, you know? And it, that was, to I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's what it, it, it is. And then my, that's what it is. You just, you, you can stop. You can use it like to like right, reset uh-huh. yourself. And then I read an interview with The Faction, Steve Caballero's, you know, the uh, punk band. Sure. And they were saying that they were straight edge in like a Thrasher magazine or some zine, some, you know, some interview they did. And the, the person doing the interview said, no, you guys smoke cigarettes. And they're like, yeah, but the cigarettes don't get you high. Like we don't do drugs. Like we don't drink. We drink Coca-Cola. But yeah, so we're straight edge because we don't, we don't get high. And I remember thinking, oh, that's what straight edge is. Like it took, there were a lot of different like ways that it was and, and without the internet and without, I mean, in Bellingham, we didn't even have Fallout records or anything like that. You know, we weren't even getting many zines where I'm getting, I'm getting my information from Thrasher magazine. True. There's no, there's not even a way to get Max from rock and roll regularly, you know? So there was a lot of. It, it it seemed it was it was much more difficult. It was a few years later where it was kind of became this hard and fast understanding of the rules of straight edge.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel sort of bad about laying some of those rules down, like at least well, around here. <laughs> um, no, you rule can't. Rule book. <laughs> Although that was a joke, but yeah. no one took it as a joke except for. It's not a set of rules. It's
0: the motherfucking law. (laughs) Isn't that what it said on the cover? On the cover. Yeah. I have one around here. Oh man.
1: I I, haven't seen one in forever. If I could, one of the few that I don't have. If I can remember
0: what box it's in. I will just put my hands on it, but, um, all right. So that's, (laughs) so you, you become straight edge. Now you're in brotherhood. You, you guys, Oh, you, uh, you have, you have the changes. Yeah.
1: We start rewriting all the songs. We ditched 90% of the lyrics kept only the lyrics that Greg had written, rewrote a bunch of lyrics that just, I was like, man, I can't sing that. That's, you know, that's easy. Like, us
0: but-, but you kept some questionable ones like, uh, put your pants on. And, <laughs> and, and, and I believe at one point you sing "Buy yourself a gerbil and get a job. Buy yourself
1: a gerbil and get a job. Sure. Well, it's, hey, it's profound. You know?
0: <laughs> okay. I'll, i am gonna step, we're <laughs> doing a lot of the stepping aside, but Mark Holcomb from undertow one time told me, uh, you know, Ron sings. Uh, I love that song where he goes, "Put your pants on," <laughs> and, then, and then, and then he said, "So." And it was. I think Murph was with him, and he said, "No, no, listen to this. We're gonna go listen to the record." I swear to God, he says, "Buy yourself a gerbil and Buy get a job." Buy yourself a
1: gerbil and get a job. And it's in that's in the
0: song "Gain." I no, believe. No, that's right? get involved. Is it get involved? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, get. <laughs> so, so i just remember that we were having so much fun laughing about that that we we played it in front of you and said what do you say right there and you, <laughs> and you looked at it you kind of nodded you said sounds like i said buy myself a journal and get a job buy yourself a journal get a job so i love that i clearly obviously is not what you're saying but that's not what you mean when you say you had silly lyrics you were just revamping the songs to
1: well no no, no. there were just uh, you know i i I had been writing lyrics for a while at that point you know so i knew what i was comfortable you know saying and i knew what would sound cool the way i sang it and a lot of the lyrics were written for you know different type of singing basically and so you know words had to get cut and things had to be added to you know deal with how long i was going to scream for or whatever and uh yeah so then we probably i don't know i guess it was maybe eight months or so later and i was like well let's go record. And
0: I don't know. I just, I, uh, I'm, I'm always shocked at how great it came out. It, it's... it was just one of those things, you know, like for me, that, that style of, of hardcore, I wasn't there yet. Like I was, I was a much more of a skateboarder listening to the faction, listening to seven seconds, mm-hmm. you know, and so sometimes when I'd hear harder stuff like that, you know, I, I liked the Chrome eggs, you know, like, from, from from you know from jump, right, like that was the chrome eggs were were something that you could you could kind of get with you could kind of get it, but there was a lot of other stuff like i I didn't get agnostic front like I you know um back then, and brotherhood, I will credit brotherhood for being a band that made me go from when I first heard it it was such a like grating kind of like oh this isn't really the stuff I listen to to being like oh no I really love this because I'm connected to it because I'm it's it's part of something I'm part of you know that that sounds like this now and that opened up a lot of doors to heavier music and and i guess more abrasive vocals and mm-hmm. things like that but yeah it it does still hold up to this day so the, you guys record those songs you put on as a demo um, actually I think the first thing we
1: did was, um, Pushead, Pushead, contacted us and, uh, was putting together the new, new, uh, Skate Rock and... That's set. the very
0: first thing. Yeah.
1: Well, that was the first, I think that was the the first thing that we sent it out to. I mean, the demo might've came out because it takes a while for, you know, Thrasher to put out, yeah. you know, their, their deal. But I remember he, con- he was like, do you guys have any recordings? And I don't remember exactly how did exactly he, how, how did, how did Pus- Greg.
0: He knew Greg. Yeah. Because, okay, so just for some history, we're talking 1988? Yeah. Pusshead's like the biggest thing in the skateboarding world. Like, I mean, at that point, he's and already doing Seth Metallica. The Death like
1: the biggest band, uh, you know, were they still being, were they, I don't recall. They were on that comp, so they must have been.
0: Okay, yeah, but I mean, it's most skateboarders would have known um from artwork on yeah, like Zorlax Zorlac, Skateboards yeah. and Metallica stuff. And he was and- the
1: music editor at Thrasher and he had a call on Puzz Zone in Thrasher every week, which is where, you know, for years, you know, I've been learning about all the killer West Coast hardcore bands that i you know, still to this day love. And, uh, yeah, he's, so I want to put you on this comp. And, uh, there was a bunch of other Northwest bands already on it. So it just worked out perfect. I think Subvert, um, The Accused
0: the accused were on that one
1: head first we're on it Mm um underdog we're on that one. we were on it was
0: well it's noise forest right yeah yeah
1: is it number seven it is yeah very cool uh yeah well then and then we did the demo and then this guy rich jacobs had contacted us and said um well i want to do a seven inch for you he had a uh he was starting... I can't remember if we were number one or number two on the release. I think we might have been number two. So he'd started a label and had... Skate Edge Records. Skate Edge Records. I think he put out Donuts or... No, I, I can't remember the name of the band. But um, he decided he... Yeah, he said, like, oh, let's do a 7-inch, which back in those days, and still, I guess, to, to today, takes forever. So that yeah. took, you know, fuck. Forever. <laughs> um, so we just kept selling those demos and... Well, then what I consider to be the the greatest things that ever happened to us, Greg and I were walking down Broadway one time, probably, I don't know, going to Dick's to get burgers or going to record store shop or something. And we see Blaine and Alex from The Accused, who, you know, we both know very well from previous bands playing with them and being just huge Accused fans. You got to understand, they were the biggest thing around here. And uh, I remember they call us over, they were at Dick's, they call us over, they're like, oh, guys, what's up? So you guys got a new band? Like, yeah, <laughs> we're getting ready to go on tour. Oh, cool, cool. You guys want to go? Like, oh, holy shit. Like, I think we just like ran back to my apartment, the Caravilla, the famous hardcore yep, hotel. Yep. And it's like, oh my God, call Vic, call, uh, uh, you know, and ah, uh, call work. I'm not coming in, you know, sell the
0: house, sell the car, sell the kids. I'm never coming back. And so I knew you when that happened. And you were in the Caravilla, so we were just beginning to to figure out who who each other were. Because I I came to the Caravilla when you were living there, I think, like twice. And I lived
1: there with Julie Roberts. Yep. And uh Kirsten Hansen. And Kirsten and Hansen Brian Bauer for a while and uh, Justin Johnson and Nate Mendel and Curtis Pitts and Brepplio. No, that was a different apartment. Oh, was it? Yeah. I'm naming all the apartments. We live in all the apartments? <laughs> Chad Robinson, I think, all lived in the apartment directly underneath of us. And then Greg Anderson, <laughs> Brett Blue, and then eventually Dennis Chang lived in the apartment above us.
0: Right. Okay. So when I, one of the times so it, that I came- So that was, hence, the Hardcore Hotel, because that's where everyone lived. In episode one of this podcast, Greg's asking, did you guys live in the Hardcore Hotel? Although- I don't think he's... And I said was it was at the Caravilla. I think he actually means the Bonneville where we lived that's, years that later. That's our... That's the second heart. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. Um, okay. A lot of so, good times
1: in both those apartments and they were almost directly across the street from each other. Oh, yeah.
0: It was quite the spot. So, okay. You guys release that demo. You play a show in Lenny's basement. There's a bunch of pictures. People know these pictures. It's a picture of Brotherhood playing with you jumping and a big Gray Matter poster on the wall in the background. That's what makes it really... Easily identifiable, and pretty iconic. Like that's a that's a good shot, and there's a couple different shots from of that um, that people have seen or might may, may have seen. I I meet you. First up is super excited about you guys. They've changed. They they become the straight edge thing uh, in Bellingham. Dave Longstreth starts singing, so they you know he's getting they're getting it together. We set up a show in a storage unit in Bellingham. Yeah, and you guys came up. And you brought... Ready to rock. Ready to rock. And you brought a band called Feeding the Cause. Yeah. Oh, did they come with us? Feeding the Cause played. So everyone played but us. Everyone played but Brotherhood. It yeah. Was, it was, it was a fucking horrible, horrible. horrible. It was two Bellingham bands. It was At Odds and First Step. And then Feeding the Cause. There may have been another band. We played. I was in that band At Odds. It was a nightmare, but we played. And then uh, you guys were just about to play. And uh, either the owner showed up or the cops showed up. I don't think it was cops. I no, think I it was, think the, it was owner. the owner. And, and shut it down, and we couldn't oh, find I'm a way so to, to pull it off because that oh. was going to be the... I'd already seen you guys at, at that, you know, out in uh, oh, and, at Lenny's. and that
1: crowd was going apeshit. And it was a good it was, crowd.
0: It was packed. Lots of people from Seattle, and then people from Bellingham. I mean, I, I, I'll bet you that if you guys have played there'd be a couple more notable hardcore like personalities from the Northwest that that would have been their night. Probably that, like, like
2: probably that <laughs> night changed my life,
0: you know? Um, but it just maybe didn't get, just yeah. go quite far enough. Um, and that was it for, for brotherhood for me. That was, those were my encounters with brotherhood by the time you guys went Which is tour, strange
1: because we played so many more times and we were friends, but I guess you just, didn't get rides down to Seattle. Didn't get
0: rides, or uh, there was one show I didn't get into because it's skinhead. I didn't have ID, and the skinhead of the door wouldn't let me in. Uh, was that at the Underground? Seven Seconds? Uh, you guys play with subvert, Seven Seconds? Subvert. Oh, it must have been that. It was a subvert at
1: the Underground. I th- that sounds right. Yeah. I got the flyer. I'm pretty sure that's it.
0: Wait. Does it have moshing skinheads on it? Could. I don't know. <laughs> it was a common theme. <laughs> <laughs> um So yeah, no, and for whatever reason, it never, yeah, it never really came together again until Resolution was I able to to see you do it. But um, I remember you were writing letters to, I think it was to Bill. I think you wrote one to Bill. Maybe it was to to, to Jason while you were out with the accused and you would like, you like at one point you like sent. I don't Do you remember this? You no. were doing some like, you were doing a bunch of various different like skinhead tattoo style. Oh yeah, yeah. I was really into, I had
1: like I, a Mr. Clean. I still Clean. draw those. <laughs> yeah. Man, <laughs> I love them. Skull and crossbones. And then these like skinhead dudes. And they, really look similar
0: you you still draw those to this yeah day. i love them and you have them. one tattooed don't you no 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 no, not of my own drawing so. oh you did because you you have some kind of a skinhead straight edge skin i got tattoo. some janky tattoos <laughs> i got some
1: good ones as well
0: that's
2: <laughs> it's, it's not
0: <laughs> it's not to try to make you look bad but it's just i mean i i always thought that i'd always assumed that you would draw on one of those tattoos and that the idea was that Oh, maybe some of these other guys would get these tattoos, too.
1: <laughs> no, that only worked for me once, and that was And a...
0: you have one of the tattoos. Okay.
1: Four people got an identical tattoo. And still to this day, I'm kicking myself for telling Pettibone he couldn't do it. <laughs> I thought
0: Pettibone was going to do it.
1: Well, don't you remember?
0: I, kind of, I was like, no, dude, you got to be in the band. We're in the band. <laughs> Kinder can get one. <laughs> so uh, Ron had the idea that... Uh, Himself, myself, the the bowling crew, <laughs> the bowling crew, Mark Holcomb and Ryan Murphy. We were on a band called Die Down. That we would, um, we would all get a tattoo: three X's and one family around our left ankle. Yes, one family. Youth of today song. Yep. And we all went into, and you said, Larson will pay for it. What? You bought my tattoo. Oh, I I thought you said I said Larson will pay for it. No, that. no, no. You said because I, I didn't have any tattoos. And it's still the only tattoo I have. And you were like, no, dude, do this. I know, I'll cover you. Oh, and see, I'm a nice guy. I'm fucking proud of that tattoo, man. Me too. I, I love it.
1: Man. <laughs> Not Edge anymore, but shit. I, I, it's awesome. It identifies a good time. It does. It does. And that was a great crew. And we had a
0: lot of fun and low expectations, but high rewards. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> okay. And we'll jump back just a little bit. Uh, how do you go from brotherhood to resolution and how does brotherhood end?
1: Oh, uh, brotherhood ended. We, we were on tour like a couple of months with the accused and realized that none of us had a clue. None of us had ever been on any kind of big tour before we were all kids. I was, Vic was the oldest one. I think he was maybe 23. I was 22, probably Greg would have been 18. And as things will happen, if you're not used to being, stuck in a van with people for a long time you get on everybody's you know you, you start hating each other and we st- we just started fighting we started fighting all the time and then at the same time also greg had become really good friends with a bunch of guys in san diego and they said hey man move to san diego join our band amenity and I think at the time he was, you know, probably as fed up as we all were with each other, and was like, okay, "I'm, I'm going to try something new, you know, I'm going to San Diego, and I'm right. going to be an amenity."
0: And that's what he did. And that that was the thing that broke Brotherhood up. Yeah, and then
1: Vic and I, you know, being knuckleheads, we were like, "Well, let's let's keep it going." So we had a couple of other dudes come in, the guys from Feeding the Cause, and we played, I think, two shows, and that just. Wasn't happening. Oh, I
0: didn't know. I didn't know that ever happened. Yeah, without Greg.
1: Yeah, we played. Well, maybe we only played one show. I know we played Spokane, uh, but that might have been it. But well, we, you know, because we play Spokane all the time. So yeah, after that, it was like, yeah, Vic, you know, this ain't working. You know, let's scrap it. And then really quickly, right after that, I think Brian Bauer had become friends with Dan. Uh, they were both working at uh, at University of Washington, and they were like, "We're going to start a band."
0: Um, so Brian Bauer was going to start a band with this fella Dan. Two actually two you're... Spokane dudes, Dan and and Brian Kraft. And Brian Kraft. Now, now when you're introduced
1: to Dan, what what was his name? Well, he had two last names, Shannon Horner. Shannon. He Horner. had a hyphenated name. Okay. Now it's just Dan Horner. It's Dan Horner. Yeah. Okay.
0: And and it was never Dan Shannon.
1: Not that I recall. Okay. I always called him Shannon Horner.
0: Shannon Horner. Right. And I think I think the confusion came in where other people didn't know how to say his name or didn't know what to... Hyphenated names. What's this newness? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So... Um,
1: we're progressive. If you were progressive, you would have taken the lady's last name. <laughs> I told that to our old boss, Chris List. Remember? She was going to... We're getting married and we're changing our name to Chris List Root. I was like, well... And she said, because we're progressive. <laughs>
0: And I said, If you're really progressive, he'd take your last name. Nice. I liked the idea of a, a melding of the two names rather than a um hyphenate. Ah. So with, with Rocky Votolato, he married April Gilbert. And so I told them they needed to either change their collective last name to Vodalilbert or Gilbalato. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and they didn't go for it. <laughs> but you can't you can't do it without Votolato last name. That's a that's a good last name. So no, I, I agree. There I, I I like that, that whole last name thing it's an ancient and it, concept I, I
1: hate seeing them on jerseys and they never fit and it's like oh come on dude what are you gonna now? what are you gonna a do hyphenate? when you you know now you're gonna get married she's gonna have a hyphen. what are you gonna how many last names you're gonna your kid gonna end up having trifinite. Well, <laughs> it well wouldn't it be a quad i don't know oh, if it's too hyphenate to get yeah married.
2: yeah
0: see it's just well,
2: that's how you get like
0: that's how you get like the dude in, on to infinity. That's how you get the bad guy, like the rat from like Good to Bad and the Ugly. Right, he's got all those names. Maybe that's the maybe that's why the you know old olden time guys from from big families had like you know twelve names. Well, and speaking of Dan, though, going oh, yeah. back. Oh, and, not, and um, I didn't bring that up to, to make fun of him, but I was confused as to his name. He's And well, he's gone on to be someone people know. He's Saturday Real estate.
1: estate. Yeah, one of the bigger, you know, pop punk bands ever, I guess. Probably started the whole trend, or, you know, or a big part of it. He's back in Spokane now, or he, I guess he's always been there, but he's back doing stuff. He owns a club over there now. Um, I run into him. Yeah, and what's a club? It's called the Big Dipper. The
0: Big Dipper. He's putting on shows there. Yep. Oh, very cool.
1: Yep. Puts on a lot of stuff there. I put on some shows there. Um, him and his wife own it, and uh, he hasn't changed at
0: all. Yeah, same dude. Exactly the same. Right on. So you guys start resolution, and we book a show in Bellingham. Boy, that show was huge, and it happened. It wasn't. Did do you remember it as being huge? It to me, it seemed like it was like there was four hundred people there. Wow. Yeah. Not at all, huh. <laughs> but it was, it was good though. And you guys were the draw. So it was on the was... second floor. Wasn't it on the second floor of some, God, you know, Bill and I argued about this and argued about this. It was a place called the aftermath. Now here's the, the, the thing about that show. That's awesome. Is that's, that's also, um, where I meet Matt Matsuoka from tennis oven. So this is where like all this stuff kind of came together in one big smash up at that show. And, and if it weren't for, all of us going over after the show to Marie Coach's house. Now you remember this?
1: I, I don't recall that, but I remember hanging out at Marie's house many times.
0: Right. Okay. So that's exact. And I think you were doing Overkill already. Does that sound right? Um. Yes. I started Overkill when Brotherhood was still happening. When Brotherhood was still happening, and doing shows at the Party Hall. Yes. Okay. We probably should get more into no, that. No, then... I
1: don't think I did shows at the Party Hall when Brotherhood was happening. That happened after. Boy, I don't know. That's a. There's a. It's only a year. It's all it happens right, right around ninety, ninety
0: one. Yep, ninety ninety one. Everything. everything. So this show at uh, Aftermath Hall, I believe, was nineteen ninety, and um, I actually have a ticket for it somewhere that I hold, held on to forever. It was in my wallet forever. I tried to show it to Bill on his episode, but it we couldn't. I couldn't get a hold of it. Um, so all these different bands played that show, and part of the thing that was cool about it is we pulled so many different bands from different scenes you know or different groups of people that a bunch of people came in and were at that show that wouldn't have necessarily known about brotherhood or known that this was your new band and um so yeah that's why it seemed like it was probably bigger than most of the stuff we did yeah i
1: recall it as being huge
0: it was uh, wide but you know yeah that's i think being involved with putting on the show it just wasn't big enough probably you know it was a lot of fun it was fun it was a great. lot of great pictures from it good pictures from it and we ended up becoming I think that it's it's right about that time we become actual like okay I've been around you enough times like hey we're gonna come down to Seattle we want to hang out and you're like come hang out with me you sure know? sure yeah so that's that's happening now um we all ended up hanging out at Marie's house and that was another part of it too it wasn't just like we were seeing each other at shows like we I don't even know how that happened but it, it, and it wasn't just you guys it was like it felt like everybody from the show almost (laughs) because like Matt Matsuoka ends up there too well because her dad was always out of town wasn't he he was working yeah he was an executive and I remember
1: this for you know quite a while on like I'd hang out at their house all the time and never even
0: met the coach (laughs) or met Ken (laughs) I eventually did yeah he was my boss later on or one of them so um no that was just one of those places where he just always felt welcome he was a very cool guy and his Marie, his daughters were super cool and would would come out and support the stuff we did. And they were awesome. So yeah. uh, Marie played in a band that I was at. She played in a band that played that night. Model Rocket? No, we, we were Rocket. called Second Nature. Oh, Second and she Nature. She was our bass player. Okay. It was then Brett Van was... Horn and, uh, and Mike Mitchell and me and, and her. Yeah, right on. <laughs> I know she was in a band later with Jen, wasn't she? Oh, I think so. That was so. Model Rocket. Oh, was that right? Was it Was it her or was it Karen? I, you know what? I'm getting horribly confused. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask one of those girls one of these days <laughs> on one of these episodes yeah. what exactly that whole thing was. So, um, okay. Over and over again, people will say, and Greg points this out uh, in his episode, episode one of this podcast, that it seems like really the Northwest can't happen without you. Like it doesn't happen the way it, it came together. Because there was a point... Where it's like you were gathering together your crew, like you were, ga- like you were, make you were getting people to move to town. You were encouraging everyone to get to Seattle, and even if they wouldn't come to Seattle, you were like, well, fine, we're going to do shows in in Bellingham, we're going to do shows in Spokane, we're going to. When I book a show in Seattle, I'm going to see if I can also get two more shows and maybe one up in yeah. Canada. And for a little while, it was it was always Ron's got this thing he's doing, Ron's setting this thing up, and so many of the people that I know that have been important in my life i know them because i met them through you that's that's basically the entire group of people from the seattle area outside of like the guys that i grew up with in bellingham so that crew that i knew there and then and and the part of the reason was is because you always had a show you were doing there was a, a new band that you were excited about it was record coming out on overkill it was come to seattle uh, to hang out at my place. You guys can stay over at my apartment. So you were giving us a, pl- a a way to come down and stay over and spend more time in the city. I was the gateway drug. You were the gateway drug for me and for a lot of other people. Um, and and I thank you for that because it was hugely influential to me and a lot of people. And I've I've said it a bunch of times before, and it, but it's it's absolutely true. I I think that if you hadn't become that, I mean, you were like an activist for Northwest Hardcore. If you had not become that for that in that. 90 91 and 92 kind of sliver of time uh i i can't see well and a little longer than that up into like 93 like really seriously with that with the building blocks you know putting the building blocks in place i don't know how you know so many things have happened since then in the music scene stuff like senate real estate and, the, and obviously stuff that seattle is really known for wouldn't have been affected but like a lot of the later on you know a lot of like just the roots of the hardcore scene yeah
1: i think you know we we definitely put together the foundation for the the hardcore scene the hardcore scene we see today we're going to see the Cro-Mags tomorrow yes i'm going to bet really that probably wouldn't have ha- wouldn't be happening if we hadn't have built you know got those people together back then cuz look at the people that we that we brought together you know john oh. Pettibone. Yeah yeah but but you um, don't say we I was one of the guys that was brought into that group. But sure but everybody well now here's the thing though Dave. It wasn't it wasn't just you didn't get free entry. <laughs> you had to do something. If you didn't do something then you know you were you were not you were no longer so you were the inner you, circle. you were identifying workers? Yeah. yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I you know everyone needs to contribute and if you you're not contributing it's Lex's pyramid. Man. I wonder if
0: you were going to bring that up.
1: Yeah, explain Lex's pyramid. Um, I don't remember. It's well, it's the kids are the base. Um, I uh, the, the bands, bands and bands are the next in the, <laughs> the next label. She drew it out at one point, right? Yeah, yeah, and Lex Spar. Yeah, and then like we were at the top because <laughs> we were the guys who did shit and got everyone else motivated. But but yeah, no, that was it. I, I wanted. And this has had been the way, you know, my entire life in music still to this day is I want everyone to be as involved as they can be and then, you know, go further. Yeah. Um, And then you do the same, you know, you, you now, now you grab a couple of people and you do the same. I mean, everyone has to contribute. If you're not contributing, then, you know, you're taking up space, you know? Yeah. Get involved
0: and <laughs> get yourself buy That's, yourself a gerbil. Sounds like a, it sounds like a song, it does. <laughs> so, you did, uh, you did, uh, so and I think I've been a-
1: doing zines since I was probably shit. Thir- 14, maybe, yeah, just doing fanzines. Um, now maybe a little later, maybe 15 or something, but um, I probably have done you know 30 different 30 issues of you know 10 different zines. Over the years. So I just think that's that's the kind of thing you need to do. You have to do. Plus, and you also... I have an opinion and I want people to, I want to share it. You know, I want people to know what the hell I think is cool and what I'm talking about and right. what's going on. Because I, I think this is a really amazing thing that's happening here. Yeah, no, and this... like
0: it. And you're always confident in your opinion. And it's important. you got to have people that are like, no, listen to this because I said so. Right. And you're like, well, he's an authority on it. Well, and then also I was able, you know, I was fortunate enough. I is
1: one of the greatest things that's ever happened. I was fortunate enough to work at Fallout.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I could, and even previous to working there, I was able to talk to Russ and Janet and, and say, hey, order these records. I'm buying a copy. She's buying a copy. He's buying a copy. You're going to sell 15 copies. No problem. I'll bring, drag these kids in here and say, buy this, you know? And then also myself and uh, other people, you know, we were getting, um, you know, we were acting as distro up here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You were bringing a lot of records. A ton of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have trading my, my own stuff off my own label to other labels, taking it into fallout, putting it on consignment. Well, then I started working there and that was the cool part, man. Cause then kids would come in and I'd be like... I'm the dude behind the, you know, I'm back here now behind the register. <laughs> this, you got to buy like a uh, Kinder. Right? Kinder always says like, yeah, man, I remember, or maybe it was Soto or maybe it was the both of them. It's like, yeah, would, they would be in. together probably. Probably, yeah. right. It's like, we came in and you were like, you know, we had something in our hands. You're like, no, no, dude, buy <laughs> this. And like, I got them to buy hard Stance Face Reality. And they're like, and that was it, man. You know, fuck, the rest of my life has been set. So that awesome.
0: was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Man. And, that, and that was something that was cool about fallout and fallout records and skateboards was was a seattle institution just seriously an incredible place not there's a lot of cool record stores but that was something there's something special yeah, yeah and you know janet was really good with me like you know she after a while she figured oh that's that guy that's coming from bellingham and she knew the kind of stuff i liked that that wasn't the straight up hardcore straight edge stuff you know she turned me on to like jawbreaker face to face some you know whatever kind of like in that world that I liked. And I always thought it was impressive that she had that, like, she like, Oh, this is, you know, he maybe doesn't have any idea about what, you know, if there's no internet. Right. So he doesn't know exactly what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. She never stood me wrong. Once every record she suggested I bought, I just like, this is wonderful. You know? So I totally get that. And, and I don't know that I think, I thought by the time you were working there, I already, like we already knew each other pretty well. Probably. I don't think that you were yelling at me to buy stuff. No, 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 no. no. But you know, others, I was listening to <laughs> that's awesome
1: but i gotta tell you i pride myself in the fact that i never pushed any crap and i would call crap crap bands out like if some you know hey they well they got x's on their hands yeah but they are fucking horrible you know put that shit away stick with what's good don't let this watered down crap you know affect us but well, we're building a scene here that we need to be proud of That's that's gonna be quality not crap which I think goes a, a long way to what you and I,
0: you know, working with Undertow. You know? Right. So, okay. So Brotherhood uh, uh, cultivates this young kid band, which is, uh, once again, you you guys are just out there pulling people into things. And I believe it was Greg. Greg. I, had, I haven't had anyone from Undertow on the show yet. So I haven't like gotten the, the formation. I think Mark's... Mark's, Mark's sister Tracy and Greg yeah. were going out and this was...
1: Either pre brotherhood or during brotherhood, um, definitely during brotherhood, I guess. And uh, one day, um, Greg's like, "Hey man, I'm coming." You know, I lived in the U District, and he's like, "Coming down." You know, well, we're gonna we gotta go go to Sullivan Square. You know, see what new records are in. And he's like, "Oh, and I'm bringing my girlfriend's little brother and her friend." It's like, it's uh, like, dude, I'm an adult. Like, how old are these kids? He's like, oh, they're like twelve. <laughs>
2: like,
1: uh, all right. <laughs> you're you're in charge (laughs) and and these two little tiny kids roll up with greg greg was a skinny little kid at the time as well and um he's like yeah you know this is mark and this is ryan they're in a band man they play you know and i these kind they probably took over like yeah you know we love
2: the accused and
1: it's like fucking awesome man that's fucking (laughs) great and uh, we immediately just took these kids under our wing and we're like okay you're in a band you know let's do it go get equipment go write songs go start doing stuff we're playing the show greg knows your mom call her <laughs> up what shit and you recall and uh, we would have to
0: call their parents up like
1: yes we are taking them on a two week <laughs> west coast
0: tour you took refuse on a, on a tour or is this uh, when they were uh, under so when they're a little uh, older uh
1: was Joel was still in the band, so I remember I had to call Joel's dad. And had to go to his house and meet his
0: dad and uh yeah, that was Well, creepy. years later when it was undertow and they got Damien in the band. Damien was seventeen. He might have been sixteen when he joined. So when we went on that US tour in ninety three, Damien was seventeen years old. He was that young still, I had man? no driver's license. Wow. Yeah. I get... remember
1: having to go to his parents' house one time too. I don't know. I remember if it was just to pick him up or what, but I remember having to meet his parents one time. And, you know, I I wasn't that much older, but, you know,
0: I was in, you know, getting into my 20s. But you were, oftentimes you were the oldest and therefore perceived as the most responsible adult. And I owned the van and, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Booked the tour. So, yeah, I guess, you know. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you you helped, you guys basically helped start what became Undertow, which were we took these kids with us wherever we were if we were
1: going to play a show they were getting in the van they were using our equipment all they had to do is bring their guitars and themselves and they're playing a show and i mean greg and i honestly we looked at it as okay in seattle we're the youth of today they're the crippled youth we're gonna bring these kids with us wherever we go now we've got twice as many people now we've got twice as much music to play we've now we've got these four kids who are going to, we know they're going to be singing along to us. So, you know, it was, it yeah, was perfect.
0: You, you built your, you, you brought your fan base. We would, we would, when we would go play, the van would be packed full of people. And that's how I met those guys. I'm pretty sure I met all of those guys directly because of you. Certainly Pettibone. I, I'm pretty
1: sure. Well, and John's a perfect example. John sent me a letter, you know, as Brotherhood, like, hey, I got your demo at Fallout. I wrote him back. I was like, dude, we're playing a show. This weekend, drive over, you can stay at my house, you can go with all of us in the van, you'll meet everybody, we'll hang out, we'll come back, we'll all, you know, be all jazzed up and talking shit all night long, and then you can go off and play soccer in the
0: morning, you know, because he was, I think, 15 <laughs> or 16 at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way it was. And then shortly after that, he ends up playing bass in Undertow. Were you, was that something that just came together? Uh, Joel quit, or... No, no, no!
1: Joe's still in the band.
0: Yeah, he um, played bass when Joel was singing.
1: Because they had like just revolving door of bass players at, at all kids, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I remember Mark and I were sitting around. He's like, "What? Man, what the hell are we gonna do, man?" It's like, "Well, John's here. John's always here. Let's just teach John how to play bass." Which, to the extent John playing bass is like the old joke of Vinnie Stigma playing guitar, uh, unplug him, turn him <laughs> way down. <laughs> Uh, just jump around and go crazy,
0: man. Yeah, but there these was, guys will cover everything else. Once it came together, and those guys started playing at the party hall, and Pettibone was on bass. Once once it really solidified with that with those four guys or five, I guess they had Seth playing guitar yeah. also. Um, Pettibone definitely brought a real like vibe to the to to their live. I mean. Whether he was turned down, I mean, I remember hearing him, you know, but I don't know. I didn't know if it was good. That's not my, you know. You've probably heard my bass playing before. I know you have, Ron.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so I'm not one to say. But what I can say is that like there was some dance there, – there were like – and the, it, it, dance moves were evolving, the way the crowd well, was reacting to the band. Well, that's and the it other was,
1: thing, you know, yeah. And
0: so and so, Pettibone would definitely like kind of lead that charge a little bit. And, and I remember right about the time when Undertow became a big deal. They went from – they broke up as Refused and then immediately reformed as Undertow, right? They didn't want to say it was a name change. It was like a breakup in a new band. Right. Um, if I remember correctly. But you'd you'd see these guys; they'd all be wearing Turning Point shirts, and I I you know I'm sure it only meant like maybe two of them had a Turning Point shirt one time. But as far as like everyone in Bellingham was concerned, they just all wore Turning Point shirts, and they looked like the dudes in Chain of Strength or Turning Point or whatever. It was the <laughs> it was the total total that was their total vibe, and it to, it just totally changed, and then they just got better and better, and, and it that's helped. The thing they just they got so good, they got so all of a good. That, we
1: had the best the best straight edge band in the country were sitting in our backyard. They were seriously, they were
0: on our labels. They were our friends and they got so good that people, some people here got mad about it. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're having an effect when there are people like, yeah, fuck those guys who do they think they are it's whenever you hear someone's making enough racket that someone else on the outside goes who do they think they are then you what like a like contemporary at the time contemporary hardcore bands or certainly uh, uh no concurrent? i i well okay it's the funny I know thing none is, of the bands i was the we funny thing is them. guys that i met years and years later would tell me oh we hated those guys oh we hated undertow oh, we hated brotherhood like because we thought that they thought they they were everything, you know, and that and I realized those guys were actually doing stuff too, and we didn't really know them, and that's something that's weird is that a oh, bunch of people well, like, that take came... charge. Who are you talking about, man? I'm not dry. I'm not going to name anybody. Oh. <laughs> I'll let the because some of these guys are going to get their own episodes. Oh, they can say whatever a, they want, sure. but personally in bellingham there was an entire contingent of like those skate punk kids that i hung around with that decided that they hated everyone from seattle i don't know if you remember that shit and and it was it was because un- they think that they can just come here and i'm like yeah they think they can come here when we invite them to and play a show that's gonna be killer let's go have fun and they're like no fuck them okay and there was even yeah it was it got it got it was really stupid but I've noticed that, w- that that just happens whenever, whenever someone really starts to get it together, you can see the grumblers sure, on sure. the side. And that's, oh, yeah. that's an indicator that things are going right. It's not an indicator necessarily that things are going wrong. Okay. So, uh, party hall, the party hall, uh, Paula San and I, who
1: worked, she worked at fallout. She Paul was and and whipped. worked. Yep. And, and um, awesome, awesome lady. And, uh, her, I, Curtis Pitts, who uh, sub pop employee of the month. <laughs> um, we were desperate for shows. We were desperate for places to put on shows. At the time, we had all of most of our shows were in Tacoma or in Bremerton, or that was it.
0: You know, right? Because um, Seattle had the teen dance ordinance, right? And if you go back to episode one of this podcast, there's a whole breakdown of the teen dance ordinance and what became of it. Um, And you, and you get referenced in that as to what you were doing at this time. We read up on what it was all about and we
1: thought we had figured out the loopholes that we could jump through. And um, we just said, well, you know, let's find a, find a venue. And uh, I was living on Capitol Hill at the time. And I think we probably just drove by Dino's um, and there was a, you know, for rent for your parties or something. I mean, it was called the party hall. There was a sign that said the party hall. Uh, it was attached to Dino's, infamous Dino's, everything. He owned everything on that block. What was it, 22nd in Madison? 22nd or 23rd yeah. in Madison. It's now the Twilight Exit. I think it still is the Twilight Exit. I,
0: you know what? The building's gone. Oh, it is? The twilight, okay. And the Twilight Exit's moved three okay. or four times since. All right. Well, I don't know. But no, it's, if you drive down there, you'll be like... It's for a long time you could drive and just see the remains of our once great empire, right? But it's
1: well, yeah. So we we just I just went into Dino's store. It, I think it probably said if if you want to rent, you know, call this number or go next door, you know, or something. And he he was like, sure, fuck whatever. Give me a hundred bucks and you can do whatever the hell you want, you know. Just don't fuck up the pool table or something. And we just started putting on shows, and we discovered pretty quickly that. The cops really weren't going to do anything. Like the city wasn't going to do shit. Like uh, they didn't really care. So we started putting on shows. Um,
0: that place was great. It was amazing. We put on so many, sh- so many awesome shows there. Saw Jawbreaker there on the unfun tour. That was a big deal. I don't know if you put on that show. See, you well, were there's there. a big
1: part of, of a lot of that time. I was going on tour with, mm. um, with the accused and as, as a roadie, you know, with them um, so I missed the. There's a lot of things I missed, and a lot of things I set up that other people finished because you know I was gone, right?
0: It was like Born Against and Rorschach. I there's
1: I set that up, but I was going bad trip. You were at that one, I was I at
0: that, yeah, because uh, that was awesome. That was great, it was absolutely good. Yeah. And that was one of the, uh, I think, one of the Undertow shows where they really started to come into their own, too.
1: Um, but there were so many shows there. I mean, The Accused would play there, uh aspirin feast galleon's lap yeah everybody i mean that's because that was the only place to play and it was it was perfect and there's a lot of fucked up shit that happened around that place. Like, you know, the robs, people getting robbed, oh, people, people got, getting, you know, shot It never at happened to shit. me, but it and, happened
0: to people I came down with, you, you know? know, for some reason we always made it back to the car without trouble. And it was a rougher spot in Seattle. It was a bad if neighborhood. You, and this was a, not this now. was in the, you know,
1: the late, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, when there was a lot of gangster shit going on on the streets of Seattle and specifically in that neighborhood. <laughs> right.
0: So, and of course that's where the space is available. Right. So it was perfect. And it was almost a few years later we were uh, getting into shows through a secret alley entrance uh, behind a piss-covered dumpster Pioneer Square. Oh, <laughs> Velvet, exactly. Right, Velvet right, Elvis. Right, I mean, that's, right. we go from, you know, from the CD to, to the the safer uh, alley entrance for the Velvet Elvis.
1: You know, and also at the time of the party hall, uh, we, because we would get bigger shows and they wouldn't fit in the party hall. So then we found the Washington Hall. Right. And so we could start doing shows there and that had a just a much larger capacity. And uh yeah, that was that was a lot of fun and like I said, nobody from the city ever came and said, "Hey, you kids, you can't do this. This is all ages." All right. So I think they were they were ready to let it go. We had to be on the on the, you know, on their radar because I mean, we did have cops coming when there were, you know, things happened like skinhead brawls, you know. Cops would yeah. show up.
0: So they knew we were doing something. I wasn't at the show. It was one of the ones that I missed. We did Born Against Rorschach Downcast. We did that in Bellingham. The next night it was at the party hall. Someone uh tried to grab the cash box and right. then someone fired off a gun outside. Right. You were at the show, I'm assuming. I was not at that show. Okay. And the police came to that and I think they just advised everybody to stay in the hall or something or stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but I, I, I only heard about it. You know, second because of course that time I wasn't there, I had to work. No, I was uh, I was definitely out of town on tour. You the, were out, that out, show. You would have been out with the accused then as a word then. Yeah. That that sounds like when you were probably sending uh sending Bill pictures of skinheads in the mail. Uh it's hard to say. <laughs> it had to have been. It couldn't have been during Brotherhood, yeah, it had to have been later. Okay, so December nineteen ninety two. You and I have been friends for a while now. We talk on the phone. I've you know, i come down to stay at your place. You've stayed at my place in, in Bellingham a few times when bands have played. You call me up and you say, Larson, I've got a job for you and a place for you to live. It's time. And you you said if you come down here and fill out the application, you're in at Kinkos. And Derek Harn needs a roommate. Oh man, December, and I had to make the decision like right then, like this has got to happen right now. Cause you were like, there's no time, man. So before Christmas, I was, I had quit my job, packed up all my stuff, uh, and. And split that's, to the big city. That's the way city. we
1: did it back then.
0: And and somehow I managed to stay. It was like six rough months and then I it settled in. And uh, the, the apartment with, with Harn didn't really work out. I ended up moving in with Derek Harn's ex-girlfriend, Jane Schneeweiss, and Seahag. He mm-hmm. came along later. Um, and then, so that was at, not the Caravilla, but at the Bonneville. The, second, the second hardcore hotel. The second hardcore hotel. I think we, were, we had to have been the tip of the spear on that one to get in. And then a little bit, I don't remember how it is you moved in with me in that apartment. I don't remember either, but I remember i had, I ended up subletting
1: it later to, um. Jeff DeGollier. Yeah. And still had all my crap there. Uh, and then God, I mean, I lived in that building for almost 15 years. You lived with, uh.
0: three or four different apartments. Yeah. You lived with like the Dietzels in the university, uh, uh, like 65th with Mike Dietzel, I think, in a house. Yeah, yeah. And then when that house came to an end, for whatever reason, you moved in with me. I just can't remember what the deal was. Oh. Like, how do you just show up? How are we just suddenly roommates? I have no hmm. concept of it coming together. Are you sure there wasn't a something else
1: happening in between there? I believe there was. I think I moved, into, moved to Ravenna with Kirsten and Mike Dietzel and Eric Dietzel. And we had a house in Ravenna where said child played. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. And Dry Gulch. And Dry Gulch. Um, <laughs> and uh, what was the other band? Tim's Tim's band. Or wasn't Tim's Sacramento band there as well? Oh god, maybe.
0: Or was Tim or was Tim and Dry Gulch? Oh man. Like, I don't remember. Huh. I'm gonna have to have a episode one of those guys from Dry Gulch is gonna have to give me the lowdown. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Tim had come up yet.
1: Well so but I think I ended up breaking up with Kirsten moving out of there i was getting ready to go on tour and i just needed a place to put my stuff
0: you were getting ready to go on tour with, with seaweed because you got a job as tour manager for seaweed,
1: right and so that was it and at the time you didn't have a roommate and i said well
0: let me because put my schneeweiss and 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 we hey, were moving out that's what it was and so it was just a. i'll give you this much to it's like you were like paying storage basically and yeah when you came and then it was like okay but when we're in town i need to be able to still come by and get my stuff and no i need to live there yeah yeah, yeah. well I, in between tours right but like right if you guys just happen to be through for like a night there i remember during the time that you were my you were my roommate you know you'd be gone for a month you'd be gone for six weeks and then there'd be maybe two nights where you were in town right and this is like you know and then like orange nine millimeter would Right. Would show up and cause trouble. We'd all be drunk in the.
2: Okay. Yeah. This was, is after
0: the sellout. After straight edge. After I sold out. Now this, the sellout happens. You're straight edge when you move in. Yeah. You're not when you move out. Right. And that's not why you moved About out. About 94 ish. I think. Oh, we got to. Maybe 95. A little bit further. Yeah. Into 95. Okay. In, yeah. Into it. Um, And that was, I don't really remember any, any, I may have blocked it. I don't really remember any drama <laughs> it was surrounding the. It's
1: horrible. I remember it all. <laughs> I went and interviewed all of my all of our all the ex-straight edgers in Seattle. Basically, I went sat down with all of them. I can name some names, but they all know who they are. And I asked them, you know, so why did you, you know, why did you break edge, you know? Just really wanted to find out what was it that you know, why? And to talk to them all, you know, three or four people at a yeah. time. was all that had had done it at that time. And I thought, well, you know what? Those are all kind of the same reasons that I'm thinking about doing this. And uh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Uh, our friendship and,
0: survived it somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I stayed a, away from the scene for a little bit after that. Or at least, you know, the real hardcore straight edge scene. Just because I, I felt, you know, kind of, you know, like
0: the turncoat. Now, Ron, there's a fun story about you during this time. That yeah. I don't know that you know. It's not true. Which one? The sign outside the window? Oh, no. I thought you were going to talk about that punk kid
1: from Bellingham talking shit. I called that kid out as a poser when he first came to this scene.
0: I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Oh, that kid who was in that band with Jamie. He hung out with, he hung out over there at Carrie's house with Sab and all those guys. And I would hear stories from Sabs like, oh, yeah, all the straight edge kids were in the front room making fun of you and saying, oh, they saw you down on the, you know, someplace. Da, 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 da. And... I don't remember the kid's name. Maybe might have been Chad. I don't know. But I called his ass out when he first came to the scene. I still told Jamie, like,
0: that kid's a poser. You literally Trust you me. literally just dropped names and called someone out. I don't know who you're talking about, and it's not what I was talking about. <laughs> oh. But it's still fine. All right. That is that is the level of shit-talking we haven't had on this on this show before, but also, you know, well, since yeah, I don't
2: fucking guard to be fucking drunk
0: walking down the street, walking down Broadway. It's like, what? Wait, well, why, why would that have not been true though? It, well, it could have been, but <laughs> but no one needed to be saying it.
1: Well, well, there's that, <laughs> but I, I think at the, for some reason, I recall being very upset because there's no way that was true at that time.
0: No. So the, the, I did the, all my
1: partying at Linda's. The then. thing
0: I'm talking about is, is after The Bonneville became a place that had like six different apartments that people that people lived in. And it was a lot of younger people than you. And one of your issues at at the time, it's funny that you brought up the Mark and Mark and Ryan being like 12 when you were like 22. One of the problems that you were having more and more was that you were having a hard time with younger people coming into the scene.
1: I wouldn't say coming into the scene I was having a harder time hanging out with them. Right. No, I no, didn't no. want to hang around with
0: these kids. But it was it was kind of one of those things where there would be more and more of us uh, of us at each, each event. If we were over to friend's house or at a party, the crew wasn't 5 people anymore. It was 12 people and number 12 was someone's 14-year-old brother and you were getting uncomfortable with that. Yeah. And I don't know that that, yeah. that you're wrong to have been uncomfortable with that. But I remember it was a bigger issue for you than it was for those of us who were just a few years younger, right? Yeah, and I remember one specific thing. I was sitting there, and it might have been at a party,
1: it might have been a show, but just listening to two kids, really, really young, small, short kids, and it wasn't Freddie, so I don't know who it was, and just hearing them talk about some inane shit from high school, and I was just like, fuck, man, I'm like 25 now. I can't be. I don't want to be hanging out with 15-year-old kids who are talking about... (laughs) <laughs> High school, uh, you know, not like I'm, I'm that old, but right. you know, at the time I was the oldest dude in the scene, and I just—that's
0: the thing. You were you were out on that, and, and I was—you out on that edge, and I was and, also spending
1: so much more time with on tour mm-hmm. with all these
0: dudes that were actually my, my age, age, yeah,
1: doing this really cool shit around around the country, and then come back and like, hmm, this isn't what I want to talk about. You know, this isn't
0: what I'm interested in. Right. Kid- I don't know, what would they have been talking about then? I don't know. I, algebra. Saved, don't by know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Zach, saved by the bell. Yeah. exactly. i Zach. i saved by the bell. So um, there was a, I did not witness it, but a bunch of the people that lived on the other side of the Bonneville were hanging out uh, one night and uh, I know that Anthony Wentz was there. He was staying with someone, and Todd Graham and some other people, and you and Greg Anderson were co- had parked, or you were walking back, and you were coming along the side of the building, and you were going to go back to your apartment. And at this point in time, you had an, you had moved out of the apartment with me into your own apartment, yeah, and it was your total bachelor pad, yeah. And we were still working together at Kinkos, and and every, you know everything was cool. Was, um, this is when Greg and I, me, Greg and Steve, ruled the scene. You great, you guys were you guys were, <laughs> were doing stuff, and and you were not like hanging out with these people from the other side of the, the apartment. You didn't really know them. I would tell you, in- you right now, I was absolutely unaware that they even lived there. There you go. And so, and one of the apartments had these, a uh, couple of young girls that lived there and they were right on the ground floor. So this happened right outside their window and they were, <laughs> they were terrified. So you guys were walking and the story goes, uh, they heard some noise outside and they looked out the window, like peeked the blinds. Right. And at the apartment next door, uh, those two girls were doing the exact same thing. So just imagine you're outside on the sidewalk and the street alongside the Bonneville, right. and there's two apartments with people peeking through the, <laughs> peak, the blinders at you, okay? Okay. And they said that you were running backwards into this no parking sign. (laughs) And Greg was like doubled over laughing, (laughs) slapping his knees and going, you dude, knock it down. And they said, you kept, you kept like running forward and then getting up ahead of Steve, then running back and trying to smash it. You were trying to break the sign down. I love it. Oh dude. Now, even if that didn't happen, if okay, it happened, uh, that definitely happened. Okay, so, that... something like that. <laughs> and, no, that was right up our alley. And so here's the thing: the dudes, like uh, Todd and Helen, like they were all just laughing, like "That's Rod, bro. That's Rod and Greg from <laughs> Like the girls were were transplants oh. from out of town and they were much younger. And apparently, they were terrified that you guys were going to come through the window. <laughs> I'm sure we looked pretty gnarly at the time. <laughs> we both probably had really long
1: hair. Oh yeah, and like, beards and yeah, crazy. I'd probably drunk drunk looked heschers. a lot like. What we We look
0: like now, but more drunk and, you know, just destroying stuff outside the (laughs) Bible. And that's a, that's, that's become kind of a famous story. Like there were so, I think there are more people now that would claim they saw it than could possibly have actually witnessed it. (laughs) And it was told to me, but in my mind, I have the visuals of it. (laughs) I can see it. Perfect. So that one's not someone talking shit about you. That's I'm, just reality. I'm guessing that really did happen. Yeah. All right. Cool.
1: Okay. So um, we, we, like I said, we we terrorized Seattle, <laughs> especially Capitol Hill for a, a few years there. The three of us, and that was the stuff we did—stupid <laughs> shit like that, breaking shit, stealing shit—and
0: you're my boss at Kinko's downtown at that point too. You're uh, were were you an assistant manager down there? I think so. yeah. At that time, yeah. At the at so. the Kinko's at Second Union. Um, I don't know if I was the system manager then, but I mean, it was on, I, I was up there at various times. Yeah. So we, we, we kept swimming in these Kinko's waters that went on, uh, up through the, well, and, through, and like Derek was there and Deanna was there. I mean, it was
1: like, I was a little hardcore, you know, family in its own. Carrie was there.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Uh, Cause Greg, Greg said, and I didn't get a chance to really expand on this when he was talking, talking, but, uh, he said, I knew I met Bill at Kinkos, and how would I have known to go to Kinkos? And I'm like, oh, that's just what everybody did. But no, like if you were involved in the hardcore scene, you spent a significant amount of time in a Kinkos in Seattle. Like,
1: well, I I think I might have gotten probably 15 people jobs there, uh, you know, all people from the hardcore scene. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I, I, at one at certain points, like you'd walk in, and it's
0: like, oh. It's a show. And I believe the only reason that I even got the, the courier job down at the one we worked at in Second Union is because Greg had left his job right. to go on tour or Yeah, something. Greg
1: worked there. Steve <laughs> O'Malley worked there. Steve, yep. Like, uh, you know, two dudes from Sun, the guys I'm talking about, uh, the hardcore kids worked there. Everybody worked there. It was just, it was
0: awesome. It was a great place to work. Well, then what, what happens from that point forward? Because there is a period of time when there's less Ron around. Well, I was- Late I 90s into- a,
1: Well, I was on tour with Seaweed, and that was getting pretty serious. Like, uh, that was probably about two and a half years, and every, you know, the the tours were more frequent and longer. And then they decided, all of a sudden, okay, well, we we have to record a new record, so we're going to take a year off of touring, and we're going to record. And I'm like, well, damn it, you know, I'm really loving this being on tour stuff. I don't want to have to go back to work. So I uh, went back to work for a very short period of time and was working in Graveyard, actually, up on Capitol Hill. And, the, and this was probably only a couple of months after, you know, uh, ending my relationship of touring with Seaweed. And just out of the blue, man, I get this phone call. And this was at a time when people loved to prank phone call each other. You yeah. Know? <laughs> we all actually had home phones. <laughs> I get this phone call and it's like, hey, man this is Chaka from Burn, Orange Nine Millimeter. You know, I don't know exactly what he said, but this is Chaka, man. You know, and I'm doing a horrible Chaka. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, uh, you know, we met, you were on tour, you know, with with Seaweed. You guys were on tour with with Quicksand. You know, I met you. We're getting ready to start some heavy touring. What are you doing? And I... Like, I was like, uh, well this, and I just, I was breaking up with a girlfriend at the time. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta get the hell out of here. I want to be on tour. I don't want to see this girl around cause it's going to kill me. So I, I'm like, I saw that girl
0: this weekend. I'm like I'm <laughs> in man. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We both went to uh, her parents are both up in Bellingham. They live like a block away from each other. And, uh, sure. I was going up to see my parents. So she shared the ride. Cool. How's she doing? Great. So, yeah,
1: and this this was just incredible. And I'm like, so what, when are we, you know, when's it happening, man? When do I need to leave? There'll be some there'll be tickets to your house, FedEx, tomorrow morning. Like, you got to come, like, the next day. So, two days. Like, uh, all right. So, I just called up work the next morning. I said, sorry, I quit. And uh, that was it, man. And that was, and then another, like, two-year stretch. And that was heavy duty. That was... That was so much fun. You went all over the world, right? Oh, yeah. And that was uh, that was the most fun I had up right up until the very end when it was just horrible. But... Uh, what is and the... And I cre- brought in... Oh, uh, you brought in? Well, I was going to say, like, I think I, I merged these crews together. And they're... <laughs> they built friendships there between these New York guys and these Seattle people that these people are still super tight friends. I mean, it was just... it's. It was just so perfect. It just all worked together great, and sure, half of them was because you know these Seattle chicks were hooking up with all these New York dudes, but whatever, <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> but you know, when those when those guys would get come to Seattle, they just they knew they were going to have a good time. They knew everything was going to be fun. They knew everybody was going to be cool, and uh, it was a really it was a great relationship. And the only thing that went wrong with it was their the management company. Yeah, uh, you know, or I'd still. You know, I'd, shit, I I'd probably would have kept... I would have done every Orange 9 millimeter tour, but I just... I couldn't handle dealing with... Their manager at the time managed Skid Row, Kiss, Motley Crue, uh, you know, all the biggies, you know. um Drawing a blank on the guy's name, right? Doc McGee. And uh he... They were just so pissed that their little, you know, boutique band, Civ, Quicksand, you know, Orange 9 Millimeter. not so much Quicksand, but, you know, Civ, Orange 9... They weren't blowing up like they were supposed to. These guys are supposed to be the next grunge. Right. And they weren't.
0: And, uh, you know, it was so it was just a lot of bullshit. And it was right at that time when they were managing to get the videos on MTV.
1: Things but, were and, starting and, to happen. And
0: Warp Tour was happening. Yep. And so, you know, it was co- It was a cool time, but it was just a cool time for those of us that were already kind of really into it. Right. And then, I don't know if they were building a whole lot of, a, a big enough fan base for a band on a label, you know also I think expectations were still that bands on majors would perform to a certain level. And I don't know if that's the, the, the case anymore because no one sells records anymore.
1: Yeah. You know, and this, this was still a, a time of vinyl actually, you know, right then. And look, you know, quicksand are huge, you know, I mean, they, they got success, but it's because they were, they were incredible. They're yeah. an incredible band. Um, you know, down Millimeter, maybe not so much,
0: you know. Uh, they were good at the time.
1: Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was a hell of a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you that, man. Some <laughs> of the greatest times I ever had. Stories
0: I'll never forget. What's a story that you can tell? Look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the stories you can't tell and back out until you can tell one. I I
1: don't even know. I, you know, because I'm not really... Um, I haven't had much contact with these guys.
0: Oh, you're tell cause you're telling their stories too. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> um, I mean, and mine aren't that really that interesting. Uh, I was actually telling, I was telling a story last night about it, but it's really not that it was just more bragging, you know, like, Oh yeah. Well, when I was over there, like check out what I did. Um, yeah. And there's just some that are just, uh, uh, uh one, one time, randomly, it was 4th of July, we're on a tour with Biohazard, so it's Biohazard, I think sick of it all, and Orange on Millimeter, and we're in Amsterdam, and it's 4th of July, and uh, Bobby from Biohazard has bought a shitload of fireworks, so we're just planning to have this big fireworks party, the club's <laughs> right on this river, everybody's, at this point, everybody's drinking and partying, and and uh, we walk in backstage and i remember i look over and there's the jim rose freak show and i i knew these guys so i was like whoa what the (laughs) the hell and mr lifto who i had known forever from the punk rock scene was like run like ah joe mr lifto what's up so i don't know i thought that was
0: always always thought that was kind of a cool story you just Just ran into them randomly on fourth of july
1: like oh everyone the freak (laughs) from the freak show i know him he's my buddy
0: uh, it's not that good of a story but no it's cool though i mean it's 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 interest always interesting when you run you go somewhere else in the world you'll just run into someone that you know it doesn't make uh nate turpin who was on here has a story about he went down to antarctica to i'm gonna say it wrong mcmurdo station
1: mcmurdo i think McMur- but
0: yeah uh and and you know he gets there to do work like he's doing like he's on some scientific expedition oh, God, i got it I'm into our stories. I can't hardly yeah, okay. be thinking about his, yeah. but you know, person washing dishes in the back room and someone he knew from school, like, uh, but unaffiliated, you know, with what he was doing. He wasn't expecting to know anybody down there. You just, you know, I ran into in that 93 tour with Enterto uh, with and Spark Marker. I'm out with those guys. We're walking one way in Virginia Beach on the beach, and Greg Anderson sure, and the other yeah. dudes from Kid are walking the other way, and they weren't on any show. They just happened to be also out on tour and on the East Coast, and they were like, you know, we got them on the show that night because they were like, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" But it was very strange because we did not expect to just kind of look up and see Seattle guys. No one else yeah, really on wild. the beach, just walking towards us. So it it just happens. You'll gravitate towards people that that you know in the world for some strange reason. Um. All right. So we're we're over two hours. Wow. It just it just. Well, maybe that'll be a part two. Huh? My, I would say that um, you and I could definitely do a part too, because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff that that we could we could go. Well, we even, over. even talked
1: about you know the, all the stuff that
0: you and I did together,
1: right? Which was just a vast amount of, of well,
0: we got we fun. We got a history of Ron up up through the '90s, you know. Um, so what what I tend to do is we basically have to start start calling it here. But um, what uh, I know that you uh you're putting on shows now. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, there's something going on with Overkill. Started the label back up. Greg and I did a split, reissued
1: the Brotherhood LP um, as a split. Uh, he didn't, we tried to, we wanted other people to do it, but we just couldn't get, come to terms with anybody. And uh, we're just, we're getting just low offers that we, we didn't want to take. So uh, he didn't really, he didn't want to do it on Southern Lord. And I said, well, you know, I'll put in half the money, you put in half the money. You've got the the mighty Southern Lord behind you, so we have that. You know, you can take care of all of this the stuff. Now, you don't need to make that big of an investment because I'll, you know, I'll do it and we'll just call it a split, you know, it, which is what it is, you know, half paid uh, between Overkill and, and uh, Southern Lord. So that came out. Um, before that was going to happen, though, I was going to put out this band from the Tri-Cities called The Drip a grindcore band and went had them record, you know, got it mastered and uh another label came in and said, "Hey, you know, we heard this and we want to put it out, a much bigger label, Relapse Records." Oh, wow. So I, and I was like, "Well, that's cool by me. The, these guys are going to get, you know, much better deal here." So um that happened. Uh, right now, I just had this band from Lewis Nido called Diazepam. It sounded like Burning Witch or I Hate God kind of stuff. Really fucking heavy. They just recorded. So uh, we're still... They just finished recording like less than a month ago. So that'll be coming out sometime you know, this year. And then a couple other things that I'm hoping will, will work out.
0: Cool. And is it going to be... I mean... I haven't put out a record myself for years, you know, um, have, have you, have you been dealing with the turnaround times on everything? And,
1: uh, so far just with the brotherhood
0: and, uh, okay. And,
1: um, it all oh, happened pretty quick, it Happened but, pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, but, but like I said, you know, Greg has had his established relationship with, his, with, uh, you know, the pressing plant
0: and exactly. everybody else and the printer. So yeah, I expect delays. So how long has it been since you have, uh, Put in the order and got the boxes of records for something that you put out yourself.
1: I, I don't know. The last thing would have been No Escape. Maybe or did I? Oh no, no, no. The strain. I think the strain was the last thing I did. The strain or Control. God, I don't know, man. It's.
0: Well, those are on Dutch East too. Yeah, like the and uh, and you're not doing this. So that's another... me, one hundred percent. Yeah, it would man. Have been you're gonna be you're, you're gonna be folding the covers and everything, right? It Would have been be... the integrity. That's ah, that's been a long time. It's. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to live vicariously through you because it's not on the. Uh, on the radar for me to put out anything for a little bit, or ever. Well, <laughs> Ram and I kind of have a deal that we will keep each other from doing record labels again. Um, and if you had wanted it on that deal, <laughs> we might have saved you well, on, grief. You know, honestly. Or, I'm always <laughs> hoping, you know, like the first thing that
1: happened hap- will happen again. Like, yeah, I'm going to put this thing out, and then somebody else comes along and says, dude you picked a good band, let us put them out. And then I can just Ooh, sit back and you're, be like,
0: you're cultivating. Right. Oh.
1: And then, hey, so I'm, you, you've always, A&R
0: guy. You've always known, like you said, you always said, no, that's good. That's crap. I, I wish I had been better at that, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was better at it. Um, what, what other prospects you got? What other things you got going on?
1: Uh, yeah, that's it, man. Slang in the mail. <laughs> because you're, you work for the post office. Because I'm a mailman. That's awesome. That's that's about it, man. I just hanging out in Spokane and coming over here as often as possible, and nothing else big on the you know set up in the future.
0: When are we going to hear you singing a band again?
1: Well, you know what? <laughs> the opportunities always come up, but uh, and I did a couple of things, went out and sang with somebody. You know that it's just not it's not the same as it used to be. The feeling isn't the same. It's just not as much fun. Yeah, you know. And there's just so many people who can do it so much better than
0: me now. Do you think it's off the table or do you think you may do it at some point?
1: Uh you know what? I was just screaming into a mic last weekend and uh it was a lot of fun, but we were just sitting around screwing around, you know, with my old hateful youth buddies and you know, just playing, just screwing around. But I, I don't think I'd ever want to do it. Being being in a band's a huge pain in the ass. I mean I just, <laughs> It is. Yeah. I haven't done it for a long time either. Uh, I hate practice. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I doubt
0: it. All right. Well, man, thank you so much for coming out. Thank and you, Dave. A, a long talk. This has been, uh, you, I mean, when I knew I was going to do this podcast, like, you're probably first name on the list. Like, oh, this is going to have to happen. <laughs> cool. Well. just Just if it's an excuse to get, you know. To get you to come over and be in the same room, because it's been so long since we've been able to spend any, you know, decent time together.
1: Yeah, it has. It has.
0: Uh, you're a good friend, Dave. I appreciate. I was it, very happy to do this. Yeah, thanks a lot, man.